This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Happy Monday morning to you, and uh, hope you're doing well. Man, if you're in the East Coast, hope you're not iced in. Uh, that crazy storm still going on. Now you have photos of Boston totally under uh, water in a few places or, uh, you know, the eastern area underwater as well. And boy, unbelievable. Top of the morning to you. Got a lot to cover. Golden Globes. Everyone Did you watch dressed them? in black? I didn't watch any of it. What? I was really I was spending a lot of family time. You missed the whole bland event. Was it bland? It was bland. I heard Oprah killed it. With she some, did great. I yeah. felt like I was watching one of her shows. Really? Yeah. yeah. She did great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there was, a, there was a monologue at the beginning by Seth Meyers. Yeah. And uh, after that, we never really saw him again. Where did Seth go? And then I kid you not, when the show was over, you know, usually you get up and you say one more joke or something to tie things up. He just said, that's it. Good night, everybody. Wow. Credits rolled. That's it. And Good the whole night, time they were trying to get people on and off the stage as quickly as possible. Don't do any jokes. We're we're way behind time. We just got to keep things moving. Yeah. And even though things moved along at that brisk pace, uh-huh. still over three hours long. I know. What in the world? Yeah. I do have some clips, though, from, from some of Seth's funnier moments during his monologue, if you care to hear them. Well, uh, are they funny? Yeah. <laughs> I think so. Well, no, but you were just telling me that it was kind of bland. But So Seth made it exciting. As a whole, the, the event was rather bland. But you can't say it was rather bland because I hear it was so much, so pro-women, pro, uh, you know, just women are central. Kind of, uh, kind of y- taking yes. on a little bit of the... Um, um, the the harassment, the sexual harassment that's gone on for years in Hollywood, and I'm fine I with that. I guess I should have watched it, but I I wanted to be with my family. Well, I'm I'm fine. I'm definitely for women. I what I do take <laughs> issue with is you know Natalie Portman got up there with Ron Howard. They were uh, they were announcing the best director category. Yeah. And Ron Howard said, "Here are the nominees for best director." And Natalie Portman gets on the microphone and says. All of which are men. All of which are men. Oh wow! So it's like okay, I'm okay, you know, celebrating women, but let's not bash men and let's not cheapen the accomplishments of those who were nominated. That, That's how uh, I feel. That yeah, I, I act. I can see that. Like the, these these people were all still directors that all still were nominated. Right. And let's not diss them now. Yeah. I mean, let's di- let's make that point before yeah. and after. So here's how Seth started out the show. Yeah. It's actually pretty strong. Good evening, ladies and remaining gentlemen. <laughs> For the male nominees in the room tonight, this is the first time in three months it won't be terrifying to hear your name read out loud. <laughs> oh, yeah. Did you hear about Willem Dafoe? Oh, no, he was nominated. Don't do that. Don't do that. And you know, That's there good. were there were plenty of Harvey Weinstein references, plenty of Kevin Spacey really? references, yeah. which I'm sure for a lot of people are, it's too soon. But uh, there there weren't as many Trump references, really. But of the Trump references, I thought this was one of the better ones. And we're all here tonight, courtesy of the Hollywood Foreign Press. 
a string of three words that could not have been better designed to infuriate our president. Hollywood Foreign Press. <laughs> the only name that would make him angrier would be the Hillary Mexico Salad Association. <laughs> and then I don't know wow. why, but for some reason I thought this just made me laugh. And you're a fan of Stranger Things, right? Yes, yes. I, as a lot of people are. There was some great television nominated this year, too. We had another fantastic season of Stranger Things. <laughs> Stranger Things reminded me so much of my childhood. Not the sci-fi stuff, and I didn't really have any friends. I don't know how to ride a bike. Basically just the part where a guy from Radio Shack dated my mom. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yes. You, and, you need a little laugh. Yeah. And then he also said, back in 2011, I made some remarks at the, uh, what's the correspondence dinner that they do? The, the, the correspondence, correspondence dinner. Correspondence dinner. That uh, our current president wouldn't be, he's not uh, qualified to be president. This is back in 2011. And a lot of people have said that that is what convinced Trump to run for president. So he said, Oprah, now that I've got you here, you are not qualified to be president. You do not have what it takes. Get out. And Tom Hanks, Tom Hanks, you do not have what it takes to be vice president. You are unrelatable and mean. Oh, wow. Yeah. They did it. Did it motivate him? We'll see. She didn't say anything in her, her big speech. She was the big Cecil B. DeMille award winner. That's she, cool. She says no. She says but, no. But uh, Stedman? Yeah. Her longtime companion Friend? of some Are kind? Are they married? No. no. Okay. Um, he says, yeah, absolutely. She'll do it. That's what he said. Wow. Yeah. So huh, we'll see what happens. Maybe Stedman knows. I would be all for it as long as, you know, pretty much all of her uh, addresses to the nation included some sort of declaration of, and you get a car, and hey, you oh, get a car. Wouldn't that be great? And you get a tax break. Yeah. And you well, get an infrastructure bill. Later we'll on, uh, I can give you some of the stats on the Golden Globes. Yeah. For instance, who the big winners were, who won. Oh, oh, this, oh, people were competing in this. Yeah, this was an awards wow. ceremony. It's just three hours, and that's the abbreviated version, and it still could have kept going and going, apparently. Yeah. I loved I've been reading Oprah's speech and uh, loved it. Yeah. The day that nobody ever has to say me too again. That's what she's shooting for. That's a great little uh, presidency statement. Me too. Yeah. You Plus, too what? I will give you the well, biggest. I agree. It'd be nice if you know, people didn't have to say that. Ever have to say that again. I will share with you the biggest disappointment of the evening as well. well. You were way into this. This was You even emailed me. Yes, and he characterized it as being bland. Yeah. He's very excited. No, but there was this, it was three hours of information that hmm. he has to now. <laughs> this cut is through. because of this three plus hours, yeah. I had to ignore my children who were begging me, begging me to play with them. And I uh, really should have. Yeah. See, I played with my kids for a while. Then we were done. It's kind of funny when you're with teenagers and they're done with you, they just walk away, walk grab their phone, mm-hmm. get in the car and drive away. Weird. Their eyeballs glaze over uh-huh. or roll to the back of their head. And I'm like, yes. I guess we're done. Guess we're done here. Well, that's good news. Uh, by the way, um, Fire and Fury, not the book, but Trump's uh, Trump Tower in New York was on fire. Did you hear that? Whoa. The roof of Trump t- Tower. The roof is on fire. I guess it's out now. <laughs> that Those are the only lyrics of that song that you can share, by the way. I know. <laughs> 
So yeah, New York City Fire Department had to put out the uh, the fire. Several dozen postings on social media showed smoke emanating from the building. Ugh. The blaze reportedly started around seven in an electrical box. No injuries. Building on fire. It's all good. It's all good. It's a big building. Um, well, lots more, of rooms more, for Russian meetings. More news from President Trump tweeting. This he's, morning? He's incredibly, what was the phrase? Um, uh, he's he's genius. Oh, yesterday. He's a stable genius. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, today it was more about misquoting a columnist saying yes. consensual <laughs> instead of consequential. Right. There was a stable genius reference last night, too. Was there? At the Globes. Yeah. There are. He's a stable genius. So let's just get to the headlines with Terry. Bonkers. Find out what else we should be paying attention to in the news. Uh, Steve Bannon on Sunday said his criticisms of the meeting between top Trump campaign officials and Russian and a Russian lawyer at Trump Tower in 2016 were actually directed at former campaign manager Paul Manafort, not Donald Trump Jr. Bannon is quoted in Michael Wolf's fire. Wolf? Wolf's. Wolf's. Wolf? Let's call him Wolf. Wolf. Wolf is fun, too. <laughs> Fire and Fury book has call, called the meeting treasonous, but Bannon said in a statement to Axios that Manafort should have known that the Russians are uh, duplicitous, cunning, and not our friends. Mm. The former White House chief strategist also apologized in the statement for not responding to the controversy sooner. The president's son is both a patriot and a good man. There you go. As Bannon walked back his comments, he's declaring himself as unwavering in his support for President Trump, the only candidate that could have taken on and defeated the Clinton apparatus. So, though his his comment, if you read it, it clumps everyone together. He's saying he only meant yeah, Manafort. But he should have known better. He's a he's a communicator. He's a communications expert. He owns Breitbart, well, right? No, or he was he's a, the a head, executive head editor. Guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. You'd think his communication would be clearer. Well, maybe it's just part of uh, when you are interviewed by somebody and, you know, you can claim the misquote. Yeah, he was misquoted. Yeah. Sarah Sanders said last Thursday that America probably uh, could care less about a book full of lying. The publisher of Fire and Fury can't print enough copies fast enough, as reported Sunday night. Uh, Henry Holt is the uh, the publisher facing a backlog of orders from Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, and other booksellers. Some oh, they stores, care. Some stories have resorted to selling, uh, setting up wait lists for antsy customers in newsrooms. Fire and Fury is a hot commodity. Some journalists have been uh, sharing copies with each other. There's also an emer- emerging piracy problem. Uh, there's a PDF that's roaming oh, the boy. internet of mm. people just you know. That PDF's out it's there and crazy. everyone's passing it on. Other books critical of Trump are also seeing a rise in sales, including the one that we talked about on this show from David Clay Johnson. It's called Even Worse Than You Think. Oh, boy. We had that guy on the yeah. show, so that was pretty interesting. Uh, two major investors in Apple are urging the tech giant to curb a growing smartphone addiction among children amid increasing concerns about the dangers of screen time and social media on young brains. The California State Teachers Retirement System... And uh, Jana Partners LLC, based in New York, said in an open letter to Apple on Monday that the company can and should play a defining role in signaling to the industry that paying special or paying special attention to the health and development of the next generation is both good business and the right thing to do. The letter said there is a develop a developing consensus around the world, including Silicon Valley, that the potential long-term consequences of new technologies need to be favored in the outset and no company can outsource that responsibility so phones are addictive they should do something about it well yeah and um, and those two major investors the teachers one is a retirement system for the public school teachers of california okay and this other group janet they own two billion shares in apple 
So two billion dollars in money, shares, but yep. don't make it as addictive. I guess. Okay. Like keep helping the retirement system, but yeah, we can't have these addictive. <laughs> Should stuff, they right? use that toward uh, gambling as well? Yes. I, I mean, don't think it's going to happen. No, I don't either. That's interesting. Okay. Well, so and I, again, I don't know that Apple's the one that has to change. No, but the, their their device kind of leads the market. Yes. They make changes; everybody else follows. What change do you make to make it less addictive? Don't know. Make it smelly. Let me check my phone. I'll let you know. Yeah, check my phone. I'll be right. Uh, last week we talked about frozen iguanas in Florida. Yes. The temperature dropped uh, to the low forties. Yeah. Iguanas started dropping out of trees. Yeah. NPR had this story. In uh, Key Biscayne, oh. Florida, a man originally from Central America, uh, iguana is a delicacy in some parts oh, of the world. Boy. It's something they're actually farmed for, for food. So Ugh. this gentleman just thought, wow, I just have a bunch of this protein sitting in the streets. He's out there in Keen Biscay. He sort of started picking up all these iguanas that appeared to be dead on the road, <laughs> falling out of trees. They turned gray. They're not moving at all. Oh. And they're very cold to the touch. So he put them in his vehicle. He's loading them up like he was stocking up for a big barbecue. When they went back to, into the vehicle, the vehicle warmed up. The iguana started coming back to life. And all of a sudden, they started getting up and running around oh, his boy. car. <laughs> and they caused a car accident. <clears throat> wow. Really? Yeah, so watch out. Iguanas Return are still alive. The iguana. Yet frozen. By the way, how's that iguana help them movement going that you talked um, about? I tried to start it, but it didn't seem to take on. Nobody seemed interested. Hmm. I think it was the Golden Globes. It, it, I tried to get it <laughs> to be a big deal there. And yeah. nobody. I think there are only like 13% of households tuned in to watch the Globes. Yeah. And and only like a hundred, 1% of, yeah, one-tenth of 1% are into iguanas. So mm. it's not a great movement yet. Bummer! That would be scary to have a car full of iguanas yeah. now coming to life. Like zombie. They're like zombie iguanas. Even if you had, say, ten. Ugh. And they all start moving at the same time? Do Woo. they do do uh, iguanas, are they aggressive? They can be. If they're agitated, they'll whip you with their tail. It goes on to talk about. So, yeah. Wow. Mm. And it caused an accident. It caused an accident. The guy's like, what's going on? Yeah. That's why you don't eat iguana. Well, don't you hate it when the, the deer that you hit with your car comes back to life? Yes, yeah. you put it in the back seat to take it to the vet. That happened in a documentary I saw. How uh, noble of you, uh, by the way. I think it happened in um, Tommy, Tommy Boy. Boy. That's what I mean, the documentary <laughs> Tommy Boy. <laughs> <laughs> On uh, what to not to do in your life. I don't remember that being a documentary. Oh, well, I kind of... Was but, it? A, yeah, it we seemed just like a biopic. We just view it differently. Yeah, totally. Uh, more Trump news? Yes. This is funny. This is something I think. Hold on, Trump news that's funny. Yeah, this is something I think you could use going forward. Okay. Maybe you can use this in uh, maybe negotiations with management. Okay, let me write it down. I got uh, something get my pen you can ready. help. So, uh, it's it's a codified. It's a way of codifying parts of your day. Excellent. Hmm. Okay. Right? Yeah. You got to know how to. Oh. Is it Trump's schedule? Hold on. It's okay. Trump's schedule. It says so. President Trump's workdays frequently don't start until eleven a.m. Oh, lucky. right. Part of an apparent shrinkage. Of his schedule, schedule that is, shrinkage that is increasingly heavy on the. I was soul. in the pool. He's calling it executive time. Well, oh, because he's in the morning. He's doing executive time. Well, not just the morning. Oh, this is out of uh, the website Axios. If you want to go check it out, he has a longer list of this. Uh, the schedule more detailed than the public schedule released by the White House. So this is the White House releases a schedule. Yeah, you know, it's like when he yeah. goes to Mar-a-Lago. It never says he's yeah, golfing, but he's always right. golfing. So this is actually what he does in the White House, not what they actually release. This guy got it from sources. Oh, wow. Uh, shows that on, let's say, uh, this is a Tuesday, I believe, last week. So Tuesday, Trump had his first meeting at 11 a.m. Right? Yeah. So the whole morning, he's in the residence. 
He's, I mean, but, but yeah, taking calls, making calls, tweeting, tweeting, watching cable news. It's executive time. Uh, White House Chief of Staff John Kelly, he had a meeting with John Kelly at 11 a.m. What followed was an hour of executive time. Uh-huh. So he had all that morning time, and then at 11 a.m. he had a meeting about 30, you know, 45 minutes. Then he has an hour more of executive time. Okay. Uh, understood to be for TV, Twitter, phone calls with friends, followed by an hour-long lunch, then another hour and 15 minutes of executive time. Wow. Yeah. Trump then had a 45-minute meeting with National Security Advisor, 15 minutes of executive time, one last meeting before ending his day at 4.15 in the afternoon. Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders uh, disputed that the uh, the two and a half hours of executive time uh, before clocking out at 4.15 amounted to executive sloth. She yeah. says he's busy. He's, he's getting not, things accomplished. Right. He's hmm. not just vegging. The time in the morning is a mixture of residence time, Oval Office time, but he's always had calls with staff and Hill members, cabinet members, and foreign leaders during this time. The president is one of the hardest workers I've ever seen and puts in long hours, long days, nearly every day of the week, all year long. The, the, the report on Axios goes in, and it's just there's just executive time. And well, it, you, they used to they talk about George W. Bush starting every day at 645 in the morning. Obama would work out, be in the office between 9 and 10. Yeah. And he doesn't come down, Trump doesn't come down till 11. But he's had executive time. And But he, then he has more executive time sprinkled throughout well, the entire day. No, this was on, Maybe he's exercising. That, that, this came out yet yeah, last night. But that was last Tuesday. But, uh, yeah, if that's the schedule they're putting out, yes. Well, Tuesday. what's interesting is last Tuesday was um, after the entire 10-day holiday retreat. Right. Then he came back Monday, and Tuesday this was his schedule. Yeah. Well, you think about it. Like, sometimes you just need to think more, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So maybe this is helping. Maybe it's keeping it. Maybe he'd be making some serious mistakes if he didn't have some executive time. Right. Maybe Isn't it possible like he was exercising cannon. before 11 o'clock? Oh, sure. <laughs> it's possible. Sure. Anything's possible. I think what he's doing is trying to come down off of... His meat sweats from the burgers. Is that what it is? He ate the <laughs> night before. Because they say he ends his day around, you know, between four and six. Yeah. And then he likes to retreat to his bedroom and eat hamburgers and watch. But table honestly, news. you're the president. You can do anything you want. That's sure. about, that's the schedule well, that's I, I would that's have. That's what I'm saying. You could have this life, Matt. You could have more uh, executive time. Maybe that's, that's okay. One thing we need to start calling after the show, hmm. I begin executive time. Okay. So from 10.05, Mountain Standard Time, executive time begins. Noon Eastern on, executive time for Mm -hmm. Matt Townsend. And let's just say it goes the rest of the day. Oh, wow. Mm. Just extended executive time. I'm executing on my executive time. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Feels good to me. (laughs) And I would like somebody to bring me uh, a beverage and some hamburgers. Maybe we could install a a button of some kind. You could have a, a button at your desk. Idea. But if I push the button, who would get? Who would answer it? We have a uh, Palakiko. We have plenty of producers. Yeah, and Palakiko would be just happy to get you your Coke. Well, or the hamburgers. Either way, he has a car. He can go get it. I think it's brilliant. Okay, and if it's helping President Trump not make any mistakes. Is it? I, I don't know. Okay. I mean, there's he's, the, had, a, he's had a bad couple the cons- of weeks. There's the consensual, like. consequential, like, yeah. spelling error. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
But that anybody, that's just your phone. Your phone, could, okay. that's Apple. Is that autocorrect? Yeah, that's okay, Apple. Okay, we'll back off on that then. Um, what? Let me <laughs> let me make sure something else is happening, just because yeah. I'm not in the know. Okay, uh, there aren't any producers writing a book about me, are there? No. They might be uh, taking notes on your movements and actions. I don't want. I don't want to have a book come out in a few years. No HR record. might be involved. Oh boy! You don't want a record of your no. activities. Okay. Just watch for anybody that's hanging around that maybe shouldn't be. <laughs> it's hard to be president. It's a lot harder than people think. Everybody's after you. You know. Everybody's got an opinion, and people like. Tell you what to eat. It's hard. So hard. Hey, up next, we're going to be talking with Joe Cannon. Uh, Joe is our Washington insider. We're going to see what his uh, take is on some of this uh, fire and fury book. What's What should we believe? What shouldn't we believe? Straight ahead on the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Man, if you've uh, if you've been reading anything in the news in the last uh, couple of weeks, President Trump taking a beating and uh, in, in a variety of different ways. Just a lot of his text, texting and tweeting isn't, uh, you know, starting to get some pretty negative attention. People are questioning his mental health. Uh, a lot of stuff going on there, plus uh, battles with uh, his ex-advisor, uh, Steve Bannon, all of that going on. So we wanted, to, of course, to to bring in our contributor, Joe Cannon. We call Joe Joe in the know. He's our Washington insider, just uh, a very connected, um, intelligent human being. And we love having him on the show to pick his brain about all things political. Joe Cannon, welcome to the show, my friend. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me, Matt. Good to have you back. And... Boy, just what do you think? What do you think about uh, some of the press the president's been getting lately and some of the things he's been saying on his uh, on his Twitter feed? Well, of course, the press has been uniformly negative, but uh, uh, it's always been negative. I mean, there was a study just a little while ago that it's like 90 percent of all mainstream media, so-called, was uh, negative. So, yeah, I, I tune in uh, periodically. I'll watch CNN, and then I'll watch MSNBC, and then I'll watch uh, Fox, and it's like uh, describing different worlds. You know, they're, they're parallel universes. But there are a lot of – there's been extra venom in this last few weeks, it seems. Yeah. What, um, what do you think about the Michael Wolff book? I mean, it, it does seem like kind of a rookie mistake to let a journalist – have that access that early in the presidency, um, and now it seems like they're paying for it. Yeah, I don't know if it was a rookie mistake or uh, it could be the same kind of a thing, a mistake of hubris, ah. thinking that, you know, you are you are really good. Wow, we're, we're, we're comfortable in our own skin, so let's just let somebody in here who has a heck of a history of, yeah. of uh, writing uh, exposés and uh, negative things and maybe not always truthful. I, I haven't read the book, I, and I don't have a basis for uh, challenging the Michael Wolf himself, but he does have a reputation that that is uh, 
you know, has is shared. People on both sides seem to say, okay, a lot of people wouldn't have let this guy in their White House, whether they were Republicans or Democrats. Right. Um, but nevertheless, there a lot of things were said, and uh, it sparked a really unusual uh, fight between, you know, two guys who were supposedly peas in a pot and, and maybe still are uh, in terms of policy. But uh, I don't know. This is a very deep breach <laughs> oh. was uh, created here. Well, so Steve Bannon, one of those guys, President Trump, uh, the, another guy, and, and now President Trump's lawyers have, have sent uh, out uh, some cease and desist letters to Steve Bannon, but also to the publishers the of the publisher, book. Right. But the publisher of the book basically said whatever and actually – uh, and actually, up the start the, date. Yeah, yeah moved, moved the start. Launched moved it earlier. Publication date up. Yeah, no, kind of in your face. But it does seem like the cease and desist letter to Bannon uh, has him backtracking a bit. Well, I yeah, uh, it could have been the cease and desist letter. I I think that was. I think Bannon himself. You know, he's he's a complicated guy, uh, but all of a sudden said, "Oh, you know what I." gone a bridge too far yeah and so his first reaction were, were first reactions were very defensive support you know i mean defend defending himself and but boy not very long after that he started first he wanted to uh, kind of a, a time of silence and then all of a sudden now he's backtracking oh yeah i i donald i didn't mean that about donald trump i really meant that about paul manafort and uh, hmm. you know just a whole long statement trying to get back in the graces and you know i oh. i don't know i'm kind of skeptical as how that'll go because the president's reaction it wasn't just the you know usually he'll tweet he'll do whatever he does this is a full-on white house statement like issued by the white house <laughs> and, right uh, uh that he's uh, not not only lost his job he lost his mind he's not that big of a guy i won he didn't win mm. Uh, I'm not even sure he was there. <laughs> yeah. Is this um, – how do you think they're handling it? I mean it, what it seems like now is th- there's just a lot of fronts that the president is fighting on, right? He, I mean he now has to fight kind of the book front and all of the fallout from the book. But he's, he's still fighting Kim Jong-un. He's still fighting uh, Mueller in the investigation on Russia. He's still bringing up the Clintons. Um and now they're bringing up his mental health. You know, the Yale psychiatrist uh, went and briefed lawmakers on the Hill about Trump's mental state, which is now has a lot of people questioning his mental abilities. Well, you just raised a whole bunch of issues there. I, my guess is on the book, they're, they're going to slow down on responding to it. I, I don't know. I mean, you have Melania out. And yeah. Steve Miller out. Stephen Miller out. They've gone into the surrogate battle. Um, I, I I just don't see how far that, that goes. My own view would be sort of let it go. Just you know, people are going to read it. They're not going to read it. My guess is all of the explosive stuff has already come out. Um, you know, just like move on. Do do you know? Do your job as president and, and just move on. But of course, I've been wrong. You can't. Well, you can't. Yeah. I think the idea is you can't be right. On the mental 
you know, stability. I mean, uh, I, 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 of course, I'm not a psychiatrist. I don't have any way to evaluate that, but it's clear that there is a Trump derangement syndrome. Uh, and, and so many people hate Trump. I have lots of Democrats right here just know that, like, tomorrow is his last day. He's gone. Right. There's no possibility that he's going to finish out his term. Uh, he'll be impeached. He'll go crazy. Or, you know, whatever. Uh, I would just say for a crazy guy, he did a lot of stuff in his first year. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, now most of that stuff is things that his opponents hate. But, uh, you know, it would be hard to say that he didn't have a very systematic approach, at least to some things. He got the tax bill. He got the judges. He's uh, he's been a uh, a lion on on deregulation. So he's done done a lot of things. Again, maybe that adds to if you really hate that agenda, maybe that just yeah you need you're thinking that that he's uh, mentally incompetent. I don't know, but. We had a guest on yesterday or uh, last week that basically supported the idea that. Um, the the Goldwater uh, rule, which is you you don't if you haven't in, if you haven't actually sat down with the person as a doctor and actually uh, understood him and and you you really shouldn't be diagnosing anybody and so that's kind of the rule I think is they the psychiatrists probably ought to all stay out of this uh, even psychologists everybody ought to stay out of questioning his mental health and instead you could just question the data and the things he's saying just. Bring those points up, right? Just sort of have a policy discussion. Have a right, you know. Yeah. But the, it's it is interesting how how effective he has been to to a degree or not um, with with judging the press and turning this back on the 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 press that are so you know uh, fake news press. I mean, we saw Jake Tapper and Miller, uh, one of the counselors to the president. Um, is it Stephen Miller? Stephen Miller. Who, Boy, by the way, is, that is, was is, ugly. Is a, yeah, that was ugly. He, he, you should know, is an all-in Bannon guy. He's there because of Bannon. Interesting. Isn't that weird, politics? I mean, I guess this is how politics works, is Miller stays, Bannon goes, President Trump's hating on Bannon, Bannon's hating on the president, but Miller loves the president, and um, I guess you just dance with the one that, that you're with. Well, I, I think... Uh, Miller has developed a pretty special relationship with the president that sort of transcended whatever connection he had with Bannon, and he certainly came down on the president's side. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> so he, he's, uh, uh, but, you know, many, if not most of the words that, the formal words that you hear the president say were written by Stephen Miller. Right. Uh, or So he, he has a very interesting, close, and he was obviously all all in on the defense. Uh, Again, we're speaking with uh, Joe Cannon. Joe is our political insider and uh, past chairman of the Utah Republican Party, also uh, CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation and and uh, past editor of the Deseret Morning News. Um, Joe, what do you think about uh, just kind of the Utah in you? Orrin Hatch has made the announcement that he's not going to run. And now leaving, I guess, a nice space for Mitt Romney. Do you think Mitt Romney steps up and runs for Senate? And if so, why? I mean, once you've run for president, it doesn't seem like Senate would be satisfying. Well, uh, A, uh, Mitt Romney is going to run for president, barring some unforeseen, currently unknown 
problem. So he's going to run. For Senate or president? For Senate. Yeah, right. Okay. So he's going to run for the Senate. And that's, you know, like I say, that's going to happen. That's been in the works. That's that's planned. And so do you think he runs? Does does he run, Joe, not to interrupt? Does he run as the anti-Trump? I don't think so, because, you know, all it's a hackneyed phrase, but it's true. All politics is local. And, you know, Mitt is a love figure. Mitt is a fabulous person, way high on the integrity scale, way high on the IQ scale, uh, bring a lot to the job. But Utah, like any state, is going to want a senator that's the senator for them. And and I'm confident that that's how Mitt will run this mm-hmm. election. You know, I, I'm going to be the senator from Utah. I've got solutions for Utah. I doubt very much that there's any political benefit to him to to running as the anti-Trump. I mean, why why would you do that? It's uh, he 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 has to run a campaign that assures Utahns across the board that he's going to be their their guy back there. Now, once he gets back there, is he going to be John McCain? Is he going to be, um, you know, Jeff Flake? My guess is not. My, my guess is that he's going to go back and on things where he agrees to be president, they're going to work hard together to get, try to get something done. And then, but he's definitely not going to just capitulate and the all Trump, you know, the Trump sky in the Senate. Apparently they did have a fairly cordial telephone call where the president uh, encouraged him to run. Uh, but so boy, I, that's I, interesting, isn't it? They I mean they Mitt Romney, one of the most vocal uh, people that ever to stand out against Trump in in the election, and and uh, you know even fairly recently he's and then the president calls to wish him luck in the election. Well, uh, you know there are uh, hundred senators, <laughs> and right now there are only fifty one of them who are at least ostensibly on the president's side of the ledger hmm. and so uh he's got to he's got to work he trump has got to work with all of them and uh for that matter all of the senators have to pick their battles too wow uh, there are going to be things that uh, that a senator romney wants for utah and he's going to have to work with the president it's amazing so it's not really a question of strange bedfellows it's just a question of you know where you stand depends on where you sit, and if you sit as a, a United States senator, you're going to have to work with the other branch, the, the executive branch, and Mitt Romney know, knows that in his bones. Do you think House Twenty Eight shaping up in your mind? Um, you know, sometimes in the news you'll hear that ah, it could be a huge swing toward the Democratic side. They might lose uh, Congress. They might lose the Senate. How is it looking so far, and is what's going on right now with President Trump and and the book and some of the other issues that he's having? Is it? Do you think it's going to add up to anything this year? Well, as always, I don't know. I, I I'd be very skeptical if the Republicans didn't pick up seats in the Senate. You've got at least ten very vulnerable seats where you have Democrats and states that voted for. Uh, Trump and and you've got you know maybe five six six of those where Trump won by double digits huh. and and I think you'll you're you're going to start going to see you're going to start seeing a campaign in the not too distant future 
branding all those red state Democrats, 100 percent of whom who voted against the uh, tax plan. So if you just listen to the uh, national news, forget about mainstream, this is national news. You know, oh, this is going to be a disaster, but it's probably not going to be a disaster. People are going to find more money in their paychecks. Most people are going to find a little to a lot more money in their paychecks. And all of a sudden, if you're a Democrat who voted against that in Missouri, mm. you might you might find yourself in trouble. So I, I don't think the Senate is much in doubt. I, I think the only question is how many, if and how many seats uh, Republicans pick up. The House is a different story. The House is much more... Uh, susceptible to a wave election, much more susceptible. So uh, I, I need to see a more detail. I mean, uh, uh, more details on, on race by race as we get closer. But you, the House could be in jeopardy. Yes, that that is a possibility. Well, and if there's any way um, he could get another piece of legislation out before the election, like the infrastructure push, if he could start getting some of those bills passed and some of that money out there to to rebuild America and get people back to work, that might also impact the election. Uh, yes. And, of course, I mean, you know, maybe you've already talked about this earlier, but this last weekend at Camp David, there was a big contact with the 24 or so of the president's closest advisors, including some cabinet members. He had... Uh, you know, McConnell was there, Ryan was there, Cornyn was there, McCarthy was there, Steve Scalise was there. Uh, you, you had a, a bunch of people kind of looking at, well, what are we going to do? What's the agenda going forward? So apparently, though, a chunk of the meeting was devoted to discussing the book. And, really? <laughs> uh, and also, apparently, uh, the president just making pals, you know, it was a, apparently like a chummy meeting. People were friendly with each other, uh, and they did not come to a resolution on the three issues that they were thinking about. And like you, you, you point out, infrastructure, but they also talked about immigration, mm. also talked about welfare reform, and, um, you know, they didn't, they did not get to a resolution on that. So I, I don't, don't know... The president clearly wants an infrastructure bill. He doesn't want to spend a trillion dollars on it. He wants to spend a couple hundred billion dollars on it and leverage that through something called public-private partnerships, where you give incentives and uh, different different kinds of deals with private entities to build bridges and highways and, and whatever. But that's sort of stuck, apparently, even in the, the meeting over the weekend. Uh, Gary Cohn came forward, the, the, the chief economic advisor came forward and had a plan that was a, a little different than Trump was thinking. And hmm. anyway, it didn't, didn't move the ball down the road very much. But that is what, what I've heard from talking to various people is that they really are in search of what that agenda will be. And... I think they all hope that infrastructure is part of it because uh, there's a feeling that there could be a little bit more bipartisanship on that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so that's to be determined, however. Well, right now, I don't think a document is coming out of this, this weekend meeting. There's another meeting toward the end of the month with a, a lot more, more of a congressional meeting, but will be very uh, impacted by the, the White House. 
and that's there's the so-called Greenbrier meeting toward the end of January, and maybe things will consolidate a little bit between now and then. Don't know. Hmm. Joe, anything else we should be talking about that we might be missing? Uh, well, yeah, there are probably a lot of things. I, mean, I think we you know, ought to be paying a little bit of attention to the uh, Mexican presidential elections. You have a fairly popular but fairly left-wing guy who's run twice and looks like he, he might win. Um, uh, that could have a, a, an impact on our trade and, and relations with Mexico, which is a very important partner to us, notwithstanding the whole immigration problem. Uh, there are big issues with us uh, that are good, good, good mutual issues and interest between us and uh, Mexico. So that's one thing to keep an eye on. Yeah. Well, Joe, we appreciate you. It's great. Uh, it's great stuff. It's always fun on Mondays to talk to you to try to figure out what's up and what's down. And again, Joe's the most honest one about it. Like, I don't know. It's just it's up and it's down. Joe Cannon is his name. Again, CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation. If you go to fuelfreedom.org, you can find out more information about what they're trying to do there to lower your fuel costs here in the United States. And we uh, will continue the journey straight ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Well, because we're here to help, we, uh, you know, if you're looking for a job, we may have a job for you. Terry has a really high paying job. That, that maybe you don't need as much experience on? Eh, maybe. They probably want some experience because okay. it seems sort of specific. As to, so one family in New York City is hiring a live-in domestic couple to mm. oversee cooking, cleaning, child care, and construction at their second home, a 30,000-square-foot wow. townhouse. Holy cow. The prominent Upper East Side couple, as it says in the ad, is looking for a team of two workers to act as gatekeepers to the principals, ensuring all aspects of the home are adequately operating at all times. Sounds good. Yeah. Everybody needs a live-in domestic Sure. There, it's, uh, so this is the vast majority of these clients at this listing service are the upper 0.01% of America. Wow. Yeah. Right? Uh, it says uh, they they do you know butler living help domestic service type stuff, but this job's different. It says the full time job pays between one hundred thousand and one hundred fifty thousand a year, depending on the applicant's level of experience, and offers perks like private living quarters within the home and allowance for food and expenses, medical, dental, and vision insurance. Wow. Hmm. So th- th- this would be a couple. Is it one hundred fifty thousand per couple? It just says the job. I'm not sure if they okay. split, that yeah. split between Apparently. the, as they're calling it, a uh, domestic couple or is it But per- you also have free room and board and insurance. Yeah. And your job is to help with the construction of the home, cook, be a butler basically, and, and make sure that – and raise their kids. Yes. Do you have to be married or can you have a common law relationship? I don't – it doesn't go into like – you know, ah. specifics that way. It says the role entails housekeeping, laundry, cooking, serving, management of vendors slash contractors. Right, so right. you deal with this yeah, construction Yeah, you do everything, really. Uh, hours need to be flexible. Ideal candidates must have experience cooking healthy formal meals as well as, as extensive 
silver service expensive uh, oh, wow. experience. So oh, you need wow, to do yeah. the whole butler. Yeah. You got to have white gloves. Towel over the wrist, everything. The candidates must be comfortable attending to Mr. and Mrs., the, the couple, okay. that, as well as their extended family is needed. The couple will be hands-on in residence, understanding when to be present and when to work behind the scenes. That's key. <laughs> That's huge. Yeah, you When don't to wanna... be invisible. Yeah. You're not part of the family, so you need to know when to disappear. This sounds so snooty. It Can does. I just say that? Yeah, you just did. You have to pack, pack and unpack clothes for travel. Oh, boy. I right? hate packing. Prepare fresh meals, formal service, meal prep. We talked about personal shopping, running errands, stock procurement, Holy and special cow. requests. Heavy organizational throughout the home, including pantries, ability to work in tandem and oversee vendors and all these people, uh-huh. knowledge and ability to operate smart home systems. And they give several, like, multiple brand names of smart home systems. It's like, wouldn't you have one to kind of unify this the house? Is, this is an incredible couple. Is this coming yeah. from the White House? No, this is a oh, Maybe it's somebody that's moving back from the White House. Hmm. Could it be Ivanka? Who Ivanka knows? and Museum quality cleaning throughout the home with attention to bedrooms, special surfaces, surfaces and bathrooms. I'm not sure what special surfaces are. Probably high-end leather and other surfaces. Man. Unbelievable! That's a good. I was I was thinking for a while I could maybe pull that off. Yeah, this might be a little over your head there. Man. No, yeah, because you have to clean. There's no executive time either. Ah, hmm. Boring. So there, look okay. it up. There's the job listing for a prominent New York City couple. Well, and you get uh, to stay in a thirty thousand dollars, a thirty thousand square foot home. No, well, it sounds like you have to. You're overseeing yeah. the building of the thirty thousand square exciting. foot second home. I don't know what they live in. That's fantastic. See? Shack in the backyard. Yeah. That's why we do this, folks. The Matt Townsend Show, here to help you find the best job you and your partner can have in New York. 150K. Not bad. More straight ahead. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends. Chilly temperatures all around the country. Uh, like 110 million people, I think, are are living in these these frigid conditions. And now we're finding that there might be some research saying this might be good for your intellect. Yes. So there's a new study conducted by researchers from Stanford University and two schools in Israel yeah. found that the mere representations of temperature, a photo of a snowy landscape, for example, can improve cognitive control. Really? So in layman's terms, that means your brain works better when it's served something cold. Or when it looks like it's cold. Yeah. You see a cold a photograph of, of a cold scenery of Interesting. Kind. Your brain works better. So the first the researchers asked participants to complete a task. In this case, they were presented with a moving object and asked to look away from it. Second, they were added. They added a background image to the participants' field of vision that depicted either winter, summer, or neutral landscapes. They found that cool temperature images compared to warm images led to improved performance on the task. Wow. So cold weather. It's like cold you need pictures. to hunker down and, yeah. and focus more. So it says that don't start deleting all those tropical beach sunset photos from your phone, though. Okay. Uh, both cold and warm weather images produce their own set of benefits. While warmth signals uh, signaling promotes a relaxed attitude, cool signals uh, signals alertness and possible need for greater cognitive control. Well, maybe that you need cooler images in your business then, mm. to keep people focused this and might, in control. This might seem like a silly question or it could be a genius question. 
What if I were to eat chilled monkey brains like they did in uh, Temple of Doom? Yeah, I'd be Jones. eating brains that's, that's and they're question. cold. Right. That's, a, that's a silly question. It's not about what you eat. But they're chilled. That's a good point. So they're looking at uh, now wanna, they're wanting to see if they can evoke better cognitive grasp, not by actually changing a temperature, but merely showing Just the images. Because they've, they've done other yeah. studies with temperature. If you freeze a person, do they think better versus if they're warm? Now they're looking at photographs and they're seeing some, some movement let's, there. Let's run our own test. Everybody, go out, look out the window, yeah. or just go watch, you know, just go or, watch the images I don't from know, the freezing cold w- Walk through weather. the newsroom this morning. I was yeah. freezing yeah. out there. I'm freezing. I wear a jacket. Drink a Slurpee day. while you do it. <sighs> See what it does to your performance. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you get better one degree at a time. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side, helping you through life one day at a time. And today, yes, we are celebrating a birthday. (laughs) <laughs> okay, you're going to love it. It's, uh, it's a big day. It's a big you're birthday. Getting, you're getting emotional. Well, there's two birthdays. Actually, there's three birthdays I think we're celebrating today. But only one of them really matters to me. My wife, Marty Priest Townsend, uh, celebrating her birthday. I won't give her age because you don't ever Classy. talk about a woman's Classy. age. But uh, she's... Amazing, hardest working woman in the world, and love her to death. Happy birthday to my wife and to Kim Jong Un. Oh, yep, Rocket Man. Can you give known. his age? Uh, I don't know his age. Oh, uh, thirty-five. No, thirty-five years he's young. He's my age. Uh huh. Crazy. Yeah, and think about what he's done with his life compared to you. I feel great about my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're doing a wonderful job, and it's also, I think, Elvis's birthday. I think Elvis, uh, my wife and Elvis share the same birthday. So uh, happy birthday to Marty, Kim Jong-un, and Elvis. And everybody else celebrating birthdays today. <sighs> you made it another year. Um, we're, we're honored to have you with us today. Again, we can't do the show without you, but the goal of this program is to help give you the information, the tools you need to live a healthier, happier life so much to cover on the show and so little time necess- uh, to, to do it in the way we want to do it. But uh, today we're going to be talking about Golden Globes. You're not going to want to miss any of that. Um, also be revisiting um, uh, an interview we did about where's the originality gone in filmmaking. That's what I'd like to know. Well, you've asked that on your show, Screen Cleaning, a million times, I'm sure. Yeah. Are, are we, have we lost the originality? Now it's like yes. we're, we're just remaking old shows or old themes. And the, the movies that are original are not uh, released heavily and right. very few people see them. So those are all the movies that show up at Oscar season that nobody has even heard of, let alone seen. This is exciting. By the way, this is also where the whole movement of BYU Broadcasting is going. Really? We talked about the fact that we're going to have more and more storytelling. We're going to get into stories. So we make up stories all the time on this show. It's make just, up? No, uh, we find yes. stories out of nowhere in our mind all of the time on this show. And we will continue to do so. 
it's it's just good news for everybody. So we'll be covering that and the Globes. Uh, apparently, Oprah. I, I didn't see any of the Globes, but Jeff's been talking about it all morning. I saw the whole thing. Wow. While ignoring my children, I feel horrible. I, I you know the feeling. I would feel horrible. You know the feeling that. Uh, that you get after indulging in some unnamed uh, fast food places. Yes. In- immediate guilt. Bloated. That's exactly how I felt after the show was over. Really? Yeah. Just because you were indulging all It's night. like, oh, I shouldn't have eaten all those M&Ms and I should have paid attention to my kids. Well, and then your kids went to bed, I'm sure, in the yeah. middle of it. And you didn't even probably get to say goodnight. I took them in there and I said, okay, goodnight. And I kissed them. Then I left immediately uh, uh, during the commercial break. <laughs> well, you know what? They'll have another night tomorrow. But be careful as a man who has run out of – I don't put any of my kids to bed anymore because I'd have to climb like 20 stairs to get to their room. And that's a lot of work. Mm, yeah. Now you just say, go to bed. So beautiful. So we will uh, – we'll be covering all of that plus find out uh, how um, the Simpson kids are aging. Bart and Lisa? Yeah, Bart and Lisa. Nice. They've, they've aged they incredibly well. They're doing – It's been doing, like 20 years. No. They look almost exactly the By same. Way, not Granted. a wrinkle on Marge. Right. I don't think she well, has it. Depends on the episode. Sometimes they yeah. do a future episode. Yeah. She looks pretty rugged. They've all had some work done. I will say that. <laughs> well, don't they I have mean, work done every time they're made? Well, like they've they've fired and hired different colorists. Yeah. You'll and, see they'll change kind yeah. of some of the approach to how they draw the cartoon. It's Wouldn't just... you love a colorist oh, that yeah. could just bring some color back into your life? White House has a uh, – what do they have? It's a makeup artist. Really? Apparently, when they hired Scaramucci for that week yeah. and a half as being the, the head of they, they communications, a makeup he hired a makeup artist because he goes, we need to have hair and makeup and look good on mm-hmm. TV. And point. when he was fired, they kept the hair and makeup artist. They're like, this is a good idea. Yeah. Homer's voice has aged a bit. Yeah. He went from kind of sounding like Walter Matthau, who ate these cookies, oh, to wow. what to he na- sounds like now. What does he sound like now? Like Get Don Shaline in here. He'll do his Homer Simpson impression. The uh, By the way, I guess the important thing to remember is the actors that play these roles are also aging. Yeah. True. They the, sound the same, The though. actress that plays Bart Simpson has got to be – it's got to be harder to do Bart the older you get. Hmm. You know that's a, female, a woman, right? I know. Yeah. yeah. So how do you keep pulling off that high-pitched, you know, throaty – anyway. We'll get to all lemon. that fun. Lots of lemon and honey. Thank you. It's a throat remedy. Oh, I thought, okay, yeah. Lemon and honey. They use a tea that. also called throat coat. There you go. Mmm, tasty. Throat coat. <laughs> Sounds gross. Yeah. Get your throat coat here. All right, let's get to the headlines, Terry. What else should we be paying attention to? So look for President Trump to be on the field or otherwise highlighted tonight during the national anthem at tonight's college football championship game in Atlanta. He's going to be in attendance, he says, at really? this game. Uh, Alabama versus Georgia, 8 p.m. kickoff, Eastern, if you care wow. to watch. This will be the, this will be a Neil free zone, though, college players stay in the locker room during the National Anthem. They do not yes. come out on the field. Good. ESPN wants an interview with Trump for the broadcast, but that looks unlikely. We're still ta- we're still uh, talking to the White House. I don't see the, I don't get the sense he's going to do an interview. The NAACP is calling for a protest. They want fans to wear white and bring anti-Trump signs. So we'll see if that action materializes yeah, in let's the crowd. Yeah, t- let's, turn, let's turn college football into a big protest moment. So, yeah. Can we just have a day where we don't protest something? Yeah, you'll see a football game tonight. There'll be okay. no protest. Uh, at press conference Saturday ended a two-day retreat with GOP congressional leaders at Camp David leaders and the president talking about the 2018 agenda. Yeah. Apparently the takeaway is they're not going to get a lot done because everyone's running for re-election. 
So there's your, there's your 2018. Uh, during the presser, a reporter asked why Trump decided to defend how smart he is on Twitter because he, he said he was a genius. He was, uh, yeah. you know, he went to the best schools. He brought up his college degree just, from 40, 50 years ago, and he's he's a genius, and he won an, an election, so that means he's a genius again. But a genius doesn't say some of the things he yeah. says. He goes, well, because, only, he responded on Twitter, he says, well, only because I went to the best college for college, colleges for college. I was, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, he goes, yeah. Uh, this is, again, let me read this again. Well, only because I went to the best colleges for college. Yeah. I was yeah. a very excellent student, came out, made billions and billions of dollars, became only or one of the top business people, sure. went to television and for 10 years was a tremendous success, as you probably have heard. Yeah. Ran for president <laughs> one time and won. Right. Now, by the way, n- none of that makes you a genius. He says it does. That is a great success rate, by the way. He's batting a thousand for running for president. Rob- Robert Reich. Uh, Ooh, say that three times. Fast. Reich. 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 He, he was a cabinet member with uh, President Clinton. Yes. He made a really good point that he, he really, by any, um, any objective data, isn't a genius. Right. But by in, in, a, in a form of emotional intelligence, which is there's kind of two keys to emotional intelligence, your ability to manage your own emotion. Not, he's not a genius there. Mm-hmm. He does, but your ability to get other people to buy into your emotion. He's he's kind of he maybe has emotional intelligence there. Oh wow! So he's got half of emotional intelligence, which is probably what he's saying. Every one of those things that now, made him successful, he he got because of his ability to get people to do things for him. The I was reading in the Washington Post last night. They had a story about some studies from the past who have looked at past presidents who yeah. already died, of course, right? And trying to look at their writings and public speeches and things and try to guesstimate their IQ. Right. And they used a statistical algorithm, all this stuff, and they found, like, John Adams was a genius. Yeah, oh, I bet. Right? Oh, yeah. But then again, he read tons yeah. and tons of books. It was a different time, but was, right? did he was did he have his own TV show? No. Okay. But then they come back, and they're like, Bill Clinton, yeah. genius, right? Yeah. Bill Clinton hmm. te- tests pretty high. and uh, So they went through and talked about all these things. Then the whole point of the article, you're like, okay— you have this right. this algorithm. Tell us what we all want to know. Right. Where does the current president say? They didn't do that. Hold on. Was Abe Lincoln a genius? It didn't go into every single I know, president. So, so I guess the dilemma is why would we think a genius is what we want? What right. we want is somebody that's moral, no. honest, yeah. smart. It was just a, yeah. a study like, well, let's see. Yeah. What, were the, how, what were the intellectual level right. of these people? It wasn't like do we is no. the quality we need. But the whole point of the story is the president called himself right. a genius. So a is stable he, genius. A stable genius. And they didn't like give you the punchline is and here's president trump's right some people IQ. some people thought it was a horse stable genius there's a uh, meme out there saying that he's the smartest president of all time hmm so okay yeah. um, new york times uh, trump is due for his annual physical examination on friday but the white house would not say whether it would include mental acuity tests so yeah there we go uh, the Trump administration asking Congress for nearly $18 billion to construct more than 700 miles of the new and replacement barriers along the southwest border, offering its most detailed description yet of the president's vision for a border wall with Mexico. The request, $18 billion. Yeah. It's not bad. The request of Granada would be a major expansion from the 654 miles of barrier now, bringing the total to nearly 1,000 miles, about half the entire southwest border. President Trump plans to visit the concrete and steal prototypes. They have prototypes yeah. sitting up in the desert. 
near San Diego after his State of the Union address on January 30th. Did, did you just say it would be half of the border would yeah. then be fenced? Yeah. Half? Yeah. But... And 18 billion they're going to yeah. try to get. So to for that. 18 billion, you fence half of the border. Right. What wow. about the other half? Well, that's the, that's the part they'll probably try to negotiate with the Democrats is they want their DACA stuff. Or they want some other she considerations. seems like you need the whole border. I think the whole border is only 20 if you get it from Costco and buy in bulk. Yeah, no, totally. Have they checked at Costco? Not sure. The bigger question is they need $18 billion for something that Mexico is supposed to pay for. Oh, mm. no. Oh, no. Mexico will pay for it. They're going to pay. And, and by the way, it doesn't seem like the people are still wanting this. Um. Yeah, it looks like it's turning into something that he needs to do because he promised it and yeah. made it such a big part of his yeah. campaign. He's going to try to follow through I with it. I think we've just been distracted by everything else going on that we've forgotten that that was one of his uh, campaign promises. Right. Speaking of distractions, last week President Trump wanted to hand out his The Most Dishonest and Corrupt Media of the Year awards. Okay. Stephen Colbert... Um, what, uh, The Daily Show and, um, uh, several other, you know, comedians have been uh, putting out their for consideration articles or, you know, advertisements, <laughs> just like people do for the Please Oscars. Vote for sure. me. Yeah, vote for for me. consideration. And the, the Daily Show, they put all like, you know, Fox News, there's a quote that goes, it says, do you realize the Daily Show is fake news? Fox wow. News, you know, that kind of quotes yeah, and yeah. stuff. Just, and he's sitting there staring off, you know, uh, contemplatingly into the sky type of thing. So they're, they're, they're making fun of it. They're, you know, the, they're putting out a lot of media. The, the comedians are yeah. trying to capitalize on this. Well, it was supposed to be today at 5 p.m. Really? But the president's going to be at the national title game. Well, ah, uh, come on. Exactly. I, so he's uh, postponed it. Um, January 17th. An award ceremony will now be on Wednesday, January 17th. The president is citing interest that is far greater than anyone could have anticipated, because the comedians are making fun of it, as a possible reason for the date change. It should be noted that Trump is scheduled to go to the game tonight. He goes, so what he's saying is, we're taking this seriously. I'm not forgetting that I made this promise, just like his so, health records and tax bills and all that stuff. But he's not going to forget this one. Awards, January 17th. Okay. Let me get this straight. So um, yeah. he's going to now start his awa- his own award ceremony for yeah. the the most misleading media fake news fake news leaders fakest of fake news um, and now all the journalists and and funny comedians they're all out there saying ha ha put make it make it us we yeah. want to be we want that attention but he doesn't have time to get it done well he has to fit this all into executive time also right yeah and, who's he going to get to host this thing by the way well I mean yeah. It, it seems like Nugent. Who else? <laughs> it just seems like It'll he's be got Nugent. too much to do to be putting together a comedic. No, you just get Ted Nugent. You have special musical guest Kid Rock, and you're all set. Can they get like Tina Fey to do some of the no. joke writing? No. Well, you'd mm. actually you need somebody that kind of is pro-Trump. You need he's the comedian. Who's the comedian that's pro-Trump? Uh... See, that's the problem. That's why he needs his own show, because everyone's against him. Okay. Just wanted to keep it clear. What else uh, is going on in the so, news? There's a gym. Yeah. Lifetime Fitness. Uh-huh. Has 128 locations across the country. They put out on Twitter that uh, they're saying uh, the message from the Nationwide Health Club chain has pulled its 24-hour cable news networks from its TVs in the location because the consistently negative or politically charged content doesn't mesh with the company's healthy way of life philosophy. Hmm, really? 
So Lifetime Fitness and all their locations, they said the decision to remove the National Cable Network news stations resulted from significant member feedback received over time and our commitment to provide family-oriented environments free of consistently negative or politically charged content. That's interesting. It'd be interesting to see if there's a study that shows there's a correlation between positive material on TV and positive health results at the gym. That's a great question. So what they're saying is the members expressed, they request just people want to come and work out and not have this thing that they have in their life the rest of the day. Yeah. So give us an environment where we don't have to see the news. That's why... That's why you listen to our show. So they're going to block CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, CNBC from its TVs. That is a beautiful thing. I think it's probably a good idea to not operate heavy machinery while listening to this show, though. Yeah, that's a great point. That's In fact, that's what the police have said. Um, that's a great idea because no. I, I don't want to listen to it. And I used to listen to it 24-7 until I started doing this show. See, and I, I get angry because my satellite provider gives me a DVR, mm-hmm. and when I turn the TV off, it's on, say, a sports channel. I turn it back on, it switches to a news channel for some reason. See, it's because it knows you. I don't know because it I don't I don't watch cable news because it's rarely are they actually talking about the news. No, it's it, usually somebody with right. five other people yelling at each other, and I don't care. Um, I'll, I'll flip to sports just to have it on something neutral yeah. so that my son doesn't get this negative opinion of everything. Right. He just sees people playing sports and he's like, oh, dad, again, come on. Blasted. I'll get him. He'll, he'll like sports. But I think, I think deep down your, your DVR recorder thing, it knows your heart. That it wants? That it knows I, that's what, what you I want. want. So it's either got to go there or Marvel Comics with everything. <laughs> and they don't have a channel yet. I know. So, so we'll figure that out. But Man. The other thing mm, is job. sometimes it flips to the Food Network. I'm mm, like, that's your wife, though. Why are we watching Chopped 24-7? But doesn't Come she on. like that oh, show? Oh, she loves that yeah, show. Yeah, that's your wife. See, I'll, it knows you. I walk in. There's some chef crying about some life experience. I'm like, oh, could you go ahead and just ruin the eggplant already? Gosh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, eggplant. Ugh. Hey, uh, last night, the Golden Globes, speaking of eggplant. Yes. I, I didn't get to watch it, but um, I'm not, I, I can't watch award shows anymore, I've decided. Really? Can't do it. I think after last year's uh, Oscars, you've got to watch the awards. No. Fast forward. No, I can't even do that. If you record and just fast forward to the funny parts, you can tell when something's yeah, but funny. You don't have to watch any of it, and then the next day you well, can go yeah. watch the highlights. No, I mean, you if you want to watch it. You, yeah. you acted like maybe you wanted to, but no. don't feel like you, you don't want to watch it at all. I don't want to watch okay, it Okay, yeah, you can you know, catch the highlights. I it's, watched Oprah in the other room. Yeah. She's all right. That, her speech was incredible. I read There were some timing issues. Yeah. Like were, at the end, she's... Like, everyone kind of thought she was wrapping up to a big flourish, yeah. and she's they just clapped for, like, a minute and a half as she kept trying to get to the point. And I'm like, come mm-hmm. on, Oprah, wrap this thing up. They're all, like, for but you. But she could be president. Yeah. Could be. She'll figure what, it out. What Do you want to hear some of the winners? Yeah. What? Who won? So, uh, the best comedy in the best comedy section, you've got Lady Bird. Yeah. Which is about a, a high school girl in Catholic school, I assume. I haven't seen it. Cole saw it. He didn't care for it. But really? Was yeah. it a movie? Yeah. Oh. The best drama. Yeah. And really the biggest winner in the movie category for the night, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Huh? Never seen it. You huh. haven't gotten Never the kids together to watch that? It. No. Okay. Mm-hmm. Sounds Well, Francis McDormand 
won Best Actress in a Drama for that film. Who's okay. that? Sam Rockwell won right. Best Supporting Actor for that film. I don't know any of these people. He was in Matchstick Men. Oh, okay. He was Nicolas Cage's partner. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he He's just won. Uh, the Best Actor in a Comedy Slash Musical the winner was James Franco, and he invited up his brother, Dave Franco, who's also in the film, as well as Tommy, uh, Tommy Wiseau. So this is the film The Disaster Artist, based on one of the worst films ever made. Hold it. So uh, he, he, uh, in, he invited the, the guy that wrote and directed the, the movie on which this is based. But, but, mm-hmm. hey, w- yeah. Where's The Greatest Showman? Yeah. It didn't win. What about Thor? So, Star no. Wars. He's moving on. So the Thor. funny part was he invites this guy up, and the guy goes to say something on the mic, and James Franco blocks him with his arm, and he's like, ah, da, 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 da. And so you think, okay, maybe he'll let him say something in a little minute. Nope. Didn't let Just him Just totally him. snubbed him. Wow. But he did invite him up. Some snubbery. Hmm. Uh, speaking of being snubbed, yeah, and this is just unforgivable, in my opinion, does this song sound familiar to you at all? Yes, Coco. Terry wouldn't remember it because he was asleep during this no, I, film. No, I remember he was singing this, this, this several Coco. points. Yeah. So you think this is like the emotional oh, apex this is the one of that the makes film. you cry every time. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, oh, he's crying. <clears throat> and you would think We're they would give the, the award for best original song to Remember Me. Yeah. No. No. Did it Speaking go? of The Greatest Showman, they gave it to This Is Me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. From The Greatest Showman. No, I think that... That's that's a winner. It's did, unforgivable. Though. Did the Lego Ninjago movie win anything? Wasn't even nominated. See, because my son was crying Saturday night during the movie. There was a real touching moment. And he cried. And I was confused because it really wasn't that touching, but he found it touching. Oh, it was how beautiful. Tears. Oh, and I go, beautiful. what's he it's, it's so sad. It's so, I was, I'm the just movie, wondering. The movie is about family. Well, the it, importance of family. Yeah. Okay. Uh, best Supporting Actress. Yes. Allison Janney for her foul-mouthed portrayal of Tanya Harding's mom in the film I, Tanya. Really? Yeah. Yeah. That's the best it just came acting out. of she all is a of great, the year? She is a great act. Well, in the supporting category. Wow. And this is just movies. So by the numbers. I, I thought the Hulk did a good job in Thor. Let me, but, let me give you the numbers here. Oh, my. Yeah. Three what? billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Yeah. One, four. Lady Bird 2, Shape of Water 2. Isn't the Shape of Water whatever it's in? That's a great point. That's a good point. Saw that on Twitter. Coco 1, Darkest Hour 1, Disaster Artist 1, Greatest Showman 1, I, Tanya 1, and in the fade, foreign film. What about The Post? Nothing. Really? Nada. Seth Meyers made a joke. He goes, in The Post, they're here tonight. And then all of a sudden, one of his, uh, a woman came out from the back carrying like five Golden Globes. And they're like, no, 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 not, not yet, yet, not yet. And not they yet. run away, and then they get nothing? <laughs> they got nothing. Wow. Interesting. They were like okay. front and center. Well, I'll that's give a you the, start. We'll I'll, get more throughout the set. I'll give you the, the TV ones later. Yeah. Unbelievable. I, I haven't seen any of those except The Greatest Showman, which is the greatest show of the year. Not to brag. Mm. I just love it. Can't get well, now, it. now I'm, I'm – I'm, I'm ticked off because yeah, you love that. Coco I, I song. loved it and enjoyed it, and but it, it beat out Coco. I love Come Coco mm, with marshmallows. Hey, up next, uh, we're going to continue the discussion about filmmaking and where's the originality. We'll be reviewing uh, an interview we did a few months ago 
with a, a true blue expert on the subject. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you uh, make it through the media and entertainment world. Disney recently announced a lineup of live-action films that include Pinocchio and The Sword in the Stone. Many of these will be remakes from the originals, much like Cinderella in 2015. A number of sequels are also coming up this year. The number uh, of sequels and remakes begs the question, where has originality gone? Is the film industry afraid of new ideas? Well, a few months back, I spoke with Amanda Klein, co-author of the book Cycles, Sequels, Spinoffs, Remakes, and Reboots, Multiplicities in Film and Television. I began the interview asking, what is going on with Hollywood? Why are there so many remakes? The first thing to remember is that it is incredibly expensive to make a motion picture. And uh, studios are becoming increasingly risk adverse uh, given, you know, there, there are so many ways to consume content now beyond going to a movie theater. So uh, right now, if it seems that there are a lot more sequels, a lot more remakes and reboots, I think overall there are more. And I think it's a reaction to uh, an overall anxiety in Hollywood about having safe bets, you know, mm. having properties that you know are going to make money because everybody knows kids love cinderella they love beauty and the beast it's not an unknown um they can budget for it they know they can do marketing tie-ins they can sell happy meals you know with, with toys inside um but having said that um this is a very common practice in hollywood this has been happening in the movie industry since you know since the invention of cinema so it's not that it's a new practice uh, but I would say definitely right now we're experiencing an uh, an increase overall. Yeah. So, um, so and I think it, it says a lot about the economics. That's it. Huh? Right so it's it's really kind of an economic uh, kind of one reason. I guess the driving yeah. reason is the economics. Is it? But I wonder and, and you see it because you, you see it in your university and in school. I mean, I, I would assume the creativity, the originality, those scripts exist. But you're saying mm-hmm. they're just too risky. They're they're unknown properties. That's correct. And so where you're going to see kind of um, the non-sequel, uh, non-reboot, uh, non-remake uh, style stories are going to probably be in the independent film uh, uh, world, maybe a little bit. You know, if you look at Hulu or Netflix, where um, you can really see it in television right now, they're taking a lot of chances on inventive, interesting, weird TV uh, because there's so many opportunities and it's lower risk. Mm. Um, Anytime it's cheaper to make a a cultural product, you're going to have more risk. When it's more expensive, you're going to have more conservatism. So right now in Hollywood, if you want to make a lot of money, if you want to put a star and pay their big salary, um, if you want to get a lot of money from the studio um, and from investors, then you really do need to um, you need to have a property that you're sure is going to make money. And so that's why they keep kind of going back to the same wells. 
And then, of course, it's really good for, you know, the way media conglomerates are set up right now, where you might own a magazine, um, a toy company, music, movies. They're all under the same umbrella. Mm. So you make one product and then you can sell it across all those different platforms. So that's another motivation. Yeah. Is it? um, I mean, you you do see that, don't you, with all of the original Mm -hmm. series from Netflix. And then I I don't know, do, do, do those ever spin into, you know, major motion pictures? Um, I guess it's too early to tell. This is sort of a new phenomenon that's happening in television. Television is sort of experiencing, um, I think, a lot of what was going on with the cinema when it became much cheaper to make movies right after World War II when we have you know portable equipment, people could film on location. You, know, you didn't need a huge budget or a studio to make a film. Um, and I imagine it's going to happen again with movies. You know, all of these things move in, in cycles. So eventually, I think, especially given and how cheap it is to make a movie, say, on an iPhone, um, that we're going to start to see a shift. But right now, this is kind of where we are um, with movies. And people, I mean, to be fair, people are enjoying it. (laughs) They're they're paying to go. So there's something that's still appealing. Something's working. Now, in your book, um, you, you talk about, I think one of your chapters is called Vicious Cycle. Jaws and Revenge of Nature films of the 1970s. But like Jaws, for example, as a sequel, it seemed to kind of lose some of its power with every iteration, every new uh, new show. Is that do they worry about that? Um, You mean, does Hollywood worry about that? (laughs) Um, I well, so I guess it it just push out the next one statements, but. I would say, um, you know, I think some sequels are better than the original. Some are worse. Some are about the same. So I I wouldn't say it's a uniform phenomenon. Mm -hmm. But I will say, you know, if you grab kind of any given sequel and compare it to something that's not a sequel, will the quality be better in the, you know, the the more original film? Possibly. But um, I think we also, as a society, really put this value on this concept of originality, even though there are very few things that are original in in culture. Everything is an update, a twist. You know, Shakespeare's plays were were basically iterations on previous plays. Mm -hmm. So everything that we think of as sort of original and high art isn't really all that original at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I guess do... Do you sense that going forward, we're going to have, you know, more of the the Netflix kind of model um, with these these kind of independent films, kind of more of the Sundance films that will be available on uh, on different outlets? So we might create a more diverse type of kind of the big stuff coming from Hollywood that's maybe, I guess, more marketing focused versus mm-hmm. the, the small. Yeah, I do. I think that's probably where if it's going to happen, that's where it's going to go. It's going to end up on these smaller kind of distribution platforms. So we may not be seeing them in the theaters anymore. Um, It may be that getting into a theater means that it is going to be one of these kind of big event pictures and that um, other kind of more experimental projects that are a little bit off the beaten path, they're going to appear on, you know, uh, these various platforms that you can access through your computer or television. So, I mean, it's an exciting time to study the media for sure. And I don't, I think some people kind of wring their hands and say, oh, where did all the originality go? But You know, it's really it, it's okay. We'll be fine. We'll be fine. <laughs> There's still lots of original ideas out there. Yeah. Um, 
is for sure. As the author, Amanda, uh, again, the author of cycles, sequels, spinoffs, remakes, and reboots, multiplicities in film and television. What what is how? What do you see the future as being for us? Like, um, what what are some of the trends that you see and and the things that most of us that don't study media and television um, and film, what's coming down the pike? Well, so uh, unfortunately, I I wish I could see the future. I can't see the future. It'd be awesome if I could. Um, but uh, what I kind of hope is going to happen, and I see sort of inklings of this, is that there's been a lot of pushback. I mean, there's historically been a lot of pushback, but especially lately on the whiteness, um, the male-centeredness of Hollywood. And so I am starting to to hope that we're going to get a lot more films with um, a more diverse range of characters and stories being told. And it's happening a little bit, um, and I'm hoping that the future will reflect that more. Um, you definitely see it in, like I said, in, in television. You see a lot of experimentation. Mm-hmm. Um, and even in, you know, sort of more more big-budget TV shows like Empire and Scandal, you know, we're – we're showing that as a society, we want to see casts that aren't just all white. Yeah. Um, so I, I think we're going to see more diversity overall in Hollywood, um, whether that's just going to be, you know, in terms of superheroes, we're just going to have more diverse superheroes. I don't know. Um, But I I don't think we're going to, Hollywood can't keep doing what it's doing, which is alienating big, big chunks of the American population. I think eventually people are going to turn away from Hmm. that. So well, and that's that's interesting too, right? Because a lot of these like comic books, I mean, I'm they, a lot of these characters were written thirty years ago. That's uh, right. And so right. all of a sudden, we have to somehow bridge the lack of diversity of the last forty to fifty years and create mm-hmm. characters today. Who who I guess they just eventually get the rights to adjust the characters and make them more diverse. Is that what yep, the authors, maybe... the writers, do? I mean, the executive um... producers. Well, so there's there are some problems with these kind of established story properties because one, like you mentioned, there's you know people own the rights to these characters, and then the other are you know kind of the the old school fans who really get oh, very that's true. furious, the purist, huh? Yeah, right. Yeah, they they just. Uh, there was talk of having a black Spider-Man at one point and, oh, the Internet just lost its mind. So, oh, wow. you know, I, I think we need to kind of get some new characters um, that reflect the changing demographics of, of our country. Um, so and, and I think that's going to happen. You see you see little kind of inklings of, of change in mm. Hollywood. So, well, and a I'm lot of female characters, too, right? <laughs> it's tough going. You have a lot of people who really want this diversity. And then you have people who are kind of digging their heels in for um, I'm not really sure why, yeah. <laughs> but it it upsets them. So more female focused yeah. female, which which would also then, you know, get the big complaint we hear a lot from actors and actresses about there's not strong female roles, right? better roles for women and then i guess too women might bring their husbands and boyfriends to these movies as well and it might change all of us yeah um there's an old saying that used to really well i guess it still structures hollywood which is um it's called the peter pan effect which is that uh young young children will go to see anything older children will see and girls will go to see anything boys will see so the market that you want is older boys hmm and that that apparently cuts through every demographic. That is not true. Yeah, that doesn't <laughs> seem all. true. 
Yeah. Um, but that is that's been the ruling belief. So Hollywood has traditionally been made for white male, um, young male audiences. And, you know, if you look at what's out there, um, that shouldn't be surprising. to Yeah, you. <laughs> there it is. Isn't yeah. that that's just a philosophy. And it's we've probably outgrown it. We've changed it. I think we we've, have. we've diversified it. Yes. Thank we're heavens. a different country now than we were in the 50s. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. The last thing we need is more like, I don't know, saved by the bell. Maybe that right. was Although for that boys was a and great girls. Show. Yeah, it was a great show. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I love that. Well, we appreciate you. Dr. Amanda Klein, again, from um, East uh, Carolina University, an author of the book Cycles, Sequels, Spinoffs, Remakes, and Reboots, Multiplicities in Film and Television. Thank you so much, Amanda, for being here. Thanks for having me. Truly important stuff. Uh, I think, folks, all of us, I mean, creativity's there. But there's also this money factor, and we've got to sort through it. We'll take a break. Uh, Come right back. Continue the discussion right here on The Matt Townsend Show. I'm telling you, Hollywood had a big night last night. Golden Globes. Yeah, and I think for a lot of people, it was more of a protest than it was an award ceremony. Well, and a lot of the awards didn't seem to resonate. Like, I mean, what do you mean? Well, had everybody seen every one of these movies? The people in the room probably have seen them. Yeah, so it resonated with a room full of Hollywood people. Okay, well then let me let me do the the awards that maybe you're probably more familiar with the TV side of things. okay? Okay, so let me give you the numbers here though. Uh, just real quick, Big Little Lies, if you heard of that show yeah. on HBO, yep. was the big winner of the night. Four awards. Really, the only awards that it lost were the awards that had multiple nominations in the same category. Oh, really? So uh, for lead actress, both Reese Witherspoon and Nicole Kidman were nominated. Nicole Kidman ended up winning. And in Best Supporting Actress, both Shailene Woodley and... And uh, who was the other one? Oh, goodness. Not Oh, was it Laura Dern? Yeah, Laura Dern. They were both nominated. Laura Dern won. So okay. those are the only ones they lost because the, 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 it won Best Supporting Actor as well. It won Best Series or Limited Series. The Handmaid's Tale won two. Hmm. The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel on Amazon. Um, that one, too. I think it was nominated for two. So that had great uh, batting average there. Fargo won. Oh, really? An award. Ewan McGregor for yeah. Best Actor. Master of None. Aziz Ansari won yeah. for Best Acting in a Comedy. And This Is Us won Best Actor in a Drama. Really? Sterling K. Brown, I believe, is his name. So, yeah. Are you familiar with any of those shows? Yes. Have you watched any of those shows? I've watched maybe past seasons of a few of them. Okay. Yeah. But uh, not not right, not watching a lot of them. But, I mean, it's it's crazy because... But I'm not hip and cool like that. So HBO was the big winner. Uh, no surprise there. Won four for... Uh, what did I just say? Big Little big Lies. Big Little Lies. Amazon streaming service won two. Hulu streaming service won two. Interesting. Netflix won one. So these streaming services are becoming forces to be reckoned with. And origi- so, so this is original programming on these streaming services. 
or yeah. are they just replaying something that was done on CBS or ABC? Because it, I'm not hearing a lot of CBS, ABC, NBC. I'm not hearing a lot about the networks. Yeah, you know, NBC uh, won an award and FX won an award and HBO won four. But the the series on HBO is based on a book. I believe The Handmaid's Tale is based on a book. So, yeah. That's interesting. It's Maybe we're in a different day and age of television watching where it will now be more to the streaming services. Well, you they are you should take them more seriously now, let's just say. Don't mess up. I take and them I mean, very seriously. Not that any of them won, but uh, some of the nominees for the movie side of the awards were also from streaming services. Like Mudbound had a few nominations. That's a Netflix show. We may see some nominations for other award ceremonies for the Meyerowitz stories, mm. which is that Adam Sandler movie. Yeah, yeah. Also a Netflix film. So uh, The People versus O.J. Simpson was not really theatrically released. It was released in maybe one theater so it could be eligible. Right. So maybe the the uh, the movie theater is not the, the way to go. So these that, days. There may be, in fact, you remember the day that it was always the actors would wanted to be a movie actor, not a television actor, and now it seems like they're all moving back. Right. And now, I mean, a lot of these streaming services have the money to present to these big-name actors that really need to take it seriously. That's – and the neat thing about it is I guess it could also ensure you of having an income for a longer period of time. Absolutely, yeah, because instead of doing a movie that's an hour and a half, two hours long, that maybe takes a couple of years of your life, not even if you're the performer. Right. If you're doing the TV show, like you said, it could last several seasons, and within those seasons, there are 8, 10, 12 episodes. Yeah. This is exciting. It's an exciting time to be alive. Oh, yeah. There are just so many options for entertainment. And yet, um, also, it's it's a confusing time, which is what a lot of last night we saw, too, is... Women sharing their voice, coming out and saying, we won't be abused anymore. We won't be taken yes. advantage of. And let me reiterate what I said earlier. I'm obviously for women, yeah. for women's rights. I, I am a big fan that their voices are being heard, that people are stepping up to these bullies in Hollywood and elsewhere and right. saying, we're not going to take this anymore. That's all great. I'm not as big of a fan of saying, oh, well, there are no women nominated in this category. So that kind of cheapens the award for those that did put forth that work. That's not to say that women's work can't be recognized more, but I'm not a big fan of filling quotas. Like, Mm. oh, well, we didn't uh, didn't have any African-American people in this category, so everybody's racist. Yeah. Or we didn't have any women in this category, so you're all sexist. That's the deal. Because then... You're filling quotas, and then you start to question the validity of those award winners. Oh, we, we, like we saw with if the Oscars a yeah, few years like ago. Yeah, like if you're an African-American and, and you, you have the achievement of winning an, a major award like that, you don't want to have that cloud hanging over you of, oh, does, is this really warranted because all these people are saying that you know they're filling – you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Ugh. Well, and it seems it like – just. That's the point of all of this, though, too. I mean, and maybe this is the problem: is if people don't feel like they have a voice, mm-hmm. then they always have to voice it where they have it, which would be at an award ceremony or on the football field or wherever you have to share your voice. Right. But well, I mean, the funny thing about it is, 
regardless of who's winning the awards, you're still in the 1% because you're oh, in Hollywood. Yeah. yeah. And you're on the NFL and you're you're doing you're you're still succeeding. Yeah. You just may not be succeeding to the level you want to be succeeding. Well, a couple years back when Chris Rock hosted the Oscars, he brought up the point of why is there even a best actor and best actress? Cat? Why is yeah. there a, why is there a distinction between those two? Right. It's not like you know, it's not like Robert De Niro is uh, running in a race with Meryl Streep and saying, I'm going to slow down and let Meryl Streep catch up, <laughs> Keep with, up me, with me, you know. But what it, that would do is that would half the awards, right? If you just had best actor and it could be a male or a female. But that would take care of the length of these award ceremonies. Except – so, I mean, that's an interesting question. Now, maybe they need to address that. Let's just choose the best actor or actress, same thing, right, uh, for every film. Best supporting actor, not male, female. Oh, yeah. that would be. But I, I think that would half the awards. You don't want to half the awards. Yeah. Unless it, you want to actually double or triple their value. And I always think the statistics are funny, too. Like, oh, this is the first African-American to do this. And so the people are criticized for not casting people of color, let's just say, right? Right. And yet it's often people of color – or people that are very passionate about that issue that are bringing that point up. Like why does – why do we – if we don't want to – if we want to see them as everybody else, then why are we highlighting the part the, – the fact that they are a person of color winning that award? Mm. Yeah. Why can't they just be the best actor? Forget well, about the color. You know? Again, it's historic. There's the historicity. Yeah. There's the historical side to this. So we have to put that – you know. Lock down that corner so it doesn't keep blowing in the wind. By the way, um, here's what Oprah said. So I want all the girls watching here now to know that a new day is on the horizon. She got standing ovation. And when that new day finally dawns, it will be because a lot of magnificent women, many of whom are right here in this room tonight, and some pretty phenomenal men fighting hard to make sure that they become the leaders who take us to the time when nobody ever has to say, me too, again. Wow. That was a great speech. And good She's for amazing. her for highlighting good men, too. Yeah. I mean, because there, there was plenty of men trashing that night. But right. she said, look, there are a lot of good men, too. Well, and then back to Seth Meyers' point about every time they mentioned a man's name in the news, yeah. everyone was like, uh-oh, <gasps> what did he do this time? Anyway, great, uh, great coverage. Um, and thanks, Jeff. That's, it's, you're the one that watched it. You made my life easier. I regret it, though. Could have had fun with my kids. Could have. Well, there's always tonight. Uh, you can still have fun with them tonight. So much uh, still ahead, folks, to cover. We uh, we do what we can to help you get through this crazy thing called life, to help you live longer, love stronger, and lead a healthier life. This is the Matt Townsend Show. A coach would have put me in fourth quarter. We'd have been state champions. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Play ball! Play ball! You know, uh, again, everybody makes, has a voice. And everybody has a chance, it seems like, to share their voice by vote, by how you purchase things, by what you say, when you say it, how you say it, how you respond on, um, on a text board. Um, and again, last night with the Golden Globes, we have Hollywood, uh, which, by the way, is really a very elite club. 
that are incredibly paid humans and individuals standing up for uh, for their rights, their voice and and and, you know, the rights of women, the rights of minorities. It's um, it's a voice. And, And I think the powerful thing, I think, for all of us to recognize and remember is in the end, uh, the voice that we share is still um, the voice of a, of a greater whole and a, a, greater, uh, a, a greater constituency than just Hollywood. And I, I'm assuming they're, as they're up there speaking you know, for more directors that are women, um, I, I guess that's good. Um, but the, the issues are much bigger than what we see in Hollywood, and I guess they're a microcosm. But overall, think about it just from your perspective. Do you respect others? Do you respect the equality of others, really? Are there little things in your language, in your way of being, that, that might actually make people feel weird or um, you know, attacked or subtly questioned? Even just bringing up, for example, the wall— uh, and uh, the wall that we need to keep people out of this country, even that, you know, obviously has some some other overtones of, of discrimination. And so maybe overall what we can take away from what we're seeing as the Me Too movement is the fact that each one of us in our own world, we probably need to do an accounting. We need to figure out are there things I'm saying, are there things that I do in my workplace that that maybe could be perceived as um, as sexist, and even a phrase that you might use, like "Hey, looking good." That just a simple phrase probably needs to be rethought. Not just to be politically correct, but to actually just look at how you think, and is are the little things you do, the little things you say, making it easier for people around you to be in this world, or more difficult? Because if we could all just step up and make it so that we really could could make it so everybody feels included, wouldn't that just make life better for everybody? It seems like that it, it would to me. Anyway, a little uh, rant for you. This is the Matt Townsend Show, doing what we can to lift, you know, lift all the ships in this uh, crazy ocean we're living in. We'll be back. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here along with Terry and Jeffrey Liam Simpson, the master. Why don't you ever say Terry's full name? Because I, I, I can never remember his middle name. And his first hmm. name, he doesn't go by since the arrest. Yeah, probably yeah. smart. So we're trying to keep him you know, out of keep jail. Keep me on the down low. Yeah. On the radio. A uh, lot to uh, talk about. Fun stuff. Um, Golden Globes, for, fun for some. <laughs> the few that have seen or heard of any of these things. Yeah, and some of those movies I had never heard of. Yeah. So I'm, I'm kind of glad I didn't. Remember, it was on. I was telling my wife all the winners, and she's like, what? Who? Darkest what? Hour? Never heard of it. Three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri? Nope. Never heard of it. I mean, I guess you can call it. It's like, is that a movie or the beginning of a joke? Three yeah. billboards outside Have you heard of, about yeah. the three billboards yeah. outside yeah. of So three Ebbing, billboards Missouri. walk into a bar. <laughs> I'm like, all right. Did I tell you? Uh, anyway, we're going to also be talking today about uh, how to create a life that, that you can thrive in. Mm. A life that's exciting and energizing. Powerful. Positive. 
all that fun stuff. More social media. Yeah. Well, you need something. So more Twitter, more positive life is what you're trying to say. No. No, 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 no. Oh, I missed it then. Not that, no. Hmm. Many would say the tweeting that's been going on lately is not creating a a life that makes you thrive at all. I find it very informative. I find it exhausting. It's all in who you follow. Yeah, or who you don't follow. That's true. Because many things are said, tweeting, that maybe haven't been thought out. Mm. You, you, no. Or yeah. spell-checked. Are, yeah. you, are you sure? Mm-hmm. No, mm. it's very common. Uh, so we'll be, we'll be talking more about uh, some of the news with the president and tweeting in the book, Fire and Fury, including the fire and the fury it created as Trump Tower had a fire on top of its own building. We did this morning. That's not a good thing. Electrical box caught fire and they put it out. Everyone's fine. Fire and fury sounds like a a cologne or a perfume. Does it? Fire and fury. Maybe there's a new new commercial or something. Uh, New sponsor to the show, Fire Fire and Fury. Figure it out. (laughs) Ooh, you smell like smoke. (laughs) It'd be in German. Smoky. One would be fire and one would be fury. And they'd be duking it out, mm. but they'd be like running through some desert in slow motion. Some fiery desert. Actually, probably more the hills of California. Mm. <laughs> the desert <laughs> to literally try to on get fire. Get out, right? Yeah. yeah. Get, get out. out for their get life. out was also a part of the Golden Globes yesterday. Was it? Yeah. It did okay. It's one of the jokes. It's part of one of the jokes of the night. Did didn't it win, win an anything. Award? No. It didn't? It was only nominated for two, didn't win either one. They should, it should win for the least. Expensive movie to produce that produced the most money. Absolutely. Get four, out! Four million dollars to make and it right. made over $200 million. And by the way, the number one phrase used by most parents, get out! Like, you know, when you, when you, their kids are doing something wrong. I don't know. My wife's getting on me quite a bit now for exact phrasing and tonage of voice as I speak to my children. Oh, good. Really? Yeah. She's like, you can't do that. You We've need been to be... talking to her about that for a couple yeah. days. Now. So we're trying to we're trying not not to look at my son and say, why did you do that all the time? Yeah, because it, is it, it more seems like, to be impacting. Is it more like, tell me how you felt when you did that? Yeah, there's some of the things like that. Why <laughs> did you do that? What decisions would you, you know? Walk uh, me through your thinking. The problem is, I just want him to stop. I don't want to have like a whole conversation. <laughs> And my wife says I should probably want to have the conversation because, you know, he's my child. He's your child. And you yeah. could have a really pivotal, incredible moment right then. And I'm like, I'm watching something on TV yeah. at the moment, so maybe come back later. And she's, that's not good enough. So I'm like, oh. mm. This parenting thing's tough for me. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's tough for everybody. Right. Not me. I've got a, I've got a down pat. Well, yeah, you didn't parent at all last night. Well, my wife did. I just made sure that yeah. parenting was occurring. Matt, it's a team effort. You just tagged her and then said, I'll be in the Golden Globes. <laughs> Don't bother me. I'm busy. Me. <laughs> Daddy's got to watch the Golden no, Globes. I feel like I've been apologizing a lot to my wife lately. Yeah, yeah that's how it works. Does it work? Does anybody do, – do either of you feel inadequate like every day? Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. good. I just wanted to make sure I'm not alone on that. Yeah. Uh, speaking of inadequate on some days, um, today is Kim Jong-un's birthday. Really? Yeah. 35 years young today. Hmm. I wonder if the president... The most glorious leader is 35 years young. Yeah. It's so weird that he's my age. Does he get new hair? No. He'll keep the same hair. By the way, my wife's birthday is today as well. She she shares it with Kim Jong-un. Does she know this? She doesn't, but (laughs) she will now. 
It's a really exciting thing for her. Can you just have a dual birthday party at your house? Oh, yeah. Then we turn on the spanking machine. Mm. Nothing like sending Kim Jong-un through the spanking machine. wonder if that's occurring over there. No. Hmm. Nope. They'll have a parade. They have a different word for it, I guess. Parade with missiles and guns. Yeah. It's interesting that he ages because I thought he was like a like a godly figure that doesn't age. Hmm. Hmm. Maybe not. Am I? I'm not sure. I'm not sure how the the deity system works yeah. over there. Well, you know, we'll have to call in a researcher. Let's get to the headlines, Terry. What else should we be paying attention to? CIA Director Mike Pompeo on Sunday insisted that President Donald Trump's tweet about the size of his nuclear button is an accurate reflection of U.S. policy towards North Korea. Oh, really? That tweet is entirely consistent with what we're trying to communicate, he told Fox News Sunday. We want the regime to understand that unlike before, we are intent on resolving this. Trump's tweet came in response to North Korean leader Kim Jong-un's claim that his button on he had a button on his desk that can launch a missile at any moment. Pompeo said the U.S. wants to resolve the crisis diplomatically, but is prepared to do what it takes to protect the U.S. mainland. And somehow ah. having a bigger button than the other guy does is exactly what he meant to say. So what I guess he's saying is as far as the content goes, we want it clear that we too could strike back with fire and fury. We Maybe it's just how he said it right. sounded like kind of grade school, neener, yeah. neener. Yeah. Maybe he's just simplifying the message. Okay, yeah. yeah. Uh, President Trump's legal team has been discussing how he could avoid an interview with the FBI or special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation as part of the probe into Russian meddling during the 2016 presidential campaign, according to a new report from NBC News. Such internal discussions reportedly began just after Paul Manafort, the former campaign manager for Trump, was indicted in October for money laundering. Trump's team is said to be considering sending written responses or an affidavit instead of Trump having a formal face-to-face sit-down with investigators. Investigators. It remains unclear whether Mueller would ask for uh, an opportunity to interview Trump directly, but sources who worked in the Justice Department cast serious doubt on any possibility that Mueller would ever give up the opportunity to interview Trump directly. Prosecutors want to see and hear folks in person. Okay, yeah. Says NBC News. Yeah. They, they want to they be able to look into their eyes. Yeah. Who doesn't? Do you think a written response would work in that situation, or... Well, what would he say? Would he tweet it? Or I didn't would he, do it? Would the, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Would he write it? No. He'd have a person do it? So would that actually be him? Yeah, is that? I don't know. I think you got to do it in person, but they could make it easy for him. How? Right? Just show up. Okay. Record it. Maybe have a nice soft drink waiting for him? Yeah, have a beverage, a couple nice. hamburgers, and <laughs> then do it in, when, in his administrative time. All right. His executive time. Interesting. Sometime between... Seven in the morning and eleven. That might be a little early. He has a little executive time in the afternoon after lunch. Let's do that. Yeah, do it right then. Nice. Just a quick hammer it out half hour interview. Um, Attorney General Jeff Sessions come under broad criticism for his performance at the Justice Department in general, and specifically his decision reported Thursday to do away with the Obama-era policy permitting states to legalize marijuana without federal meddling. Oh, yeah. Prominent among Sessions' critics are Republican lawmakers, including Senator Cory Gardner of Colorado, who slammed Sessions' pot policy on the Senate floor. And Representative Mark Meadows of North Carolina and Jim Jordan of Ohio, who published an op-ed Friday calling for him to resign because uh, Sessions has no control at all over the premier law enforcement agency in the world. Really? Meadows and Jordan raised questions about the DOG's handling of the Russian election interference probe, as well as leaks from within the intelligence community, which have been common throughout Sessions' tenure. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the Colorado side of it, Cory Gardner, the senator, he was against legalizing marijuana in Colorado. 
Okay. He fought against it. Yeah. But he was told in the uh, he a- a sat down and talked with Sessions before he was confirmed as Attorney General and said, "Will you meddle with this specific issue?" And Sessions says, "No, I feel that's been decided." And now he's meddling with the marijuana issue. Oh, yeah. Now, Cory Gardner's not for it, but he is for states' rights. Right, right. And so now the, you're meddling with my state's ability to regulate ourselves. But now this is going to get crazy. Again, states' rights used to be kind of a GOP issue. Right. Now are Absolutely. the GOP states, the red states, going to be fighting for the right to decide on marijuana? Hmm. Are they going to jump on board with this as a states' rights issue? Or are they going to let kind of the blue states... Fight it out. Fight it out without their support. Because it's kind of a weird story to be out in front of. And it seems like it would create a precedence about state rights. Yeah. This is this is weird. Again, another twist in politics. We'll see where that goes. Hmm. And finally, um, FX Network's CEO, John Langraff. Yes. The last several years, he shows up to the Television Critics Association. They have a bunch of uh, presentations over the next month. You'll have all the networks showing up and saying, "This is our lineup. This are all the here's the stars from the shows." You yes. can talk to them. They do this for the whole month. Uh-huh. Well, he comes out and he always likes to tell you how many scripted television shows aired in the previous year. Okay, just to oh, show you yeah. how ridiculous it is. Mm-hmm. This year, the total is 487 scripted original series aired on TV in 2017. He said this during his presentation on Friday. Yeah, too many. 487 Holy shows. Too cow. many. How are you possibly going to watch any of that? That's why I can't watch any of them because it's too overwhelming. Maybe you can't so, choose. But and that counts broadcast, cable, Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, all the streaming, that kind of thing too. Not even I don't even know if that counts the reality TV shows. There's entire networks of that kind of stuff. Really, but but like uh, is is a show like on Fox News a scripted show? No, that's a news program. So that doesn't include that. That doesn't include. Uh, reality stuff. This could, yeah, we're, this is the sign we have too much. So his data was part of his now regular breakdown of the shifting TV landscape and the phenomenon of peak TV, as it's being called. The number represents the largest number of scripted series ever, topping 2016's 455. Uh-huh. Uh, of the 487, Basic Cable had the biggest share with 175. Broadcast next with 153, the largest number that broadcast has ever seen. Online services like Netflix have 117 series on the air, also the largest number of shows uh, such services have ever supported. Paid cable accounted for 42 of the shows, so HBO, Showtime, those types right. of networks. Over the past five years, online services have seen the most growth in a percentage basis growing by an astonishing 680% since 2012. Holy cow. So Netflix has a fourth of them. Well, Netflix, Amazon, Hulu. Oh, okay, gotcha, whole gotcha. Yeah. And then it says, uh, let's say, pay, pay cable is second percentage-wise with series output growing by 45% since 2012. And uh, broadcast, again, they have more. But with broadcast, it's interesting because they have to either run shorter series or cancel more shows. Because they only have so much time. But now the standard is shorter, right? 12, maybe 12 shows. Not for broadcast. Broadcast is still putting out 20 to 25 a year. Which means you'll have two or three weeks in a row of, like, repeats. Yeah. And then you get just a bunch of shows that are just sort of like case of the week or just some meddling but thing. You, that you wonder if financially can the model stand, you know? That's that's really his point is this model can't continue because you have your your big networks who are supported by other things. But then you have like, a, what is it, WGN. 
right? When right. I grew up, WGN was a regional network, a regional station, and it was in Chicago. Chicago yeah. It's their news, right? And they put that, they threw that up onto the early cable systems, and they ran some during the day. They ran some syndicated, maybe some rerun type stuff, some uh, re-airing of, of programming. But then now, they the last couple of years, they've jumped into original programming. And they okay. have two or three of their own shows they put out. And they're not bad. They're okay. They're good. The problem is you you got to get people to watch it. You're spending all this money. Yeah. And it's going to – and they're getting money because of cable carriage rights, right? So every, right. You, you're giving them – without even watching this channel, you're giving them maybe 50 cents or, or less every time you, you, know, you pay your bill. Yeah. And at some point, if you're not making money, if people aren't watching the show and you're backing up with ratings, the whole thing can collapse as right. people start cutting their cable. Because they're basing it off of this money That's has right. nothing to do You're with ratings. Losing your money, so it's it's interesting, and 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 they're watching it because they want to see at what point does the whole thing topple, and you're left with maybe twenty big station, big channels yep. on cable that actually matter, and the rest of it is like what infomercials. I'm not sure. Uh, don't say that. Yeah, there's an infomercial channel too, and they don't get they don't get countered as scripted. They are original. Do you think there are people that will start like downloading? infomercials just to watch them they already do it's on youtube do people do that you can go watch pretty much any infomercial you see on late at night is on youtube somewhere but don't you you're just doing that to go laugh maybe i don't know maybe you laugh and then a few minutes into it you say that actually looks like a good idea i don't know buy one of those i think i need one of do i need a new mattress (laughs) (laughs) um okay wow so again we're addicted and it's all apple's fault well Everyone's involved, and Apple's trying to add to this. I know. They're putting billions into their TV aspirations. Apple needs to stop it because that's what the experts are saying. You need to somehow make us less addicted, make the kids less addicted to the phones. But that, like, my kids watch YouTube videos all the time. Wouldn't it be great great if kids were addicted to apples, Mm. the food? Yeah. That would be great. Now there's big talk that Oprah is going to run for president. Yeah, because she makes a speech, well, and the Golden Globes make her president. Hmm. By the way, I think she'd probably she'd be fantastic, open, caring, loving, wonderful president. But haven't we learned that you you also need somebody that understands fully the political side? Plus, she could pretty much wipe out the deficit yeah, completely, just single handedly. Yeah, maybe what you need is somebody like Oprah to then back. Uh, another candidate that is so powerful, so strong, that understands what we're doing, and then the they rock. go run together. The Rock. No, again. Oprah see, and The Rock. It seems like we need to learn about maybe a Hollywoodish type. Experience matters, maybe yeah. a little bit. They have some and even concept more than of the a government. business person, hey, right? Because Ro- The Rock has saved the world countless times. I've watched him on TV do it. Right. He did it as G.I. Joe. You, you don't get more experience than that. I mean, well, but again, he teamed uh, up with Bruce Willis in G.I. Joe. He it was a great show. Saved the beaches with Zach Efron. There you go. He didn't really do any of that. Oh. What are you talking about? He's just great at memorizing lines and has that charismatic smile and a body that just doesn't stop. It's okay. You're just anti-rock. Yeah. Hmm. The guy, by the way, travels with a gym. Yeah, I, I heard that. And it's I can't remember, but it's like it's three or four trucks worth of gym equipment that like has to go everywhere he goes. Semi-trucks. Doesn't, he, doesn't yeah. he pull them to their locations too? It's just his warm-up, yeah. 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 Then he has to work out. Like, I mean – 
you know, I'd be ripped like that if. Well, but that's part of his brand. He has to be huge and in shape. That's yeah. his job. So I yeah, still... you make you want this. This is the whole package. You need to bring yeah. the. Yeah, the gym I, with we him. would all be ripped if we were paying if we were being paid to be ripped. No, I still wouldn't actually. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna retract. <laughs> you would that. cheat. You'd be bad at that job. Yeah, interesting. But then I'd just be I'd be mad, and I'd probably be fired. Mm. Now that's why I've built my persona not around being ripped. Mm. I built it around being pudgy. I think the word. Pudgy. Pudgy. That's your brand. Pudginess. Yep. That's the sound of pudgy. That's the sound of pudgy. <laughs> wow. That sounded a little. I think my pudginess is more contained than that. Yeah. It sounded like the pudgy got away. Pudgy on the loose, if you will. <laughs> You always got to watch out when Pudgy is on the loose. Uh, well, so much more to cover um, today. We've we've got some empty news that we want to get to. Jeffrey Liam Simpson is the empty news anchor for the Matt Townsend Show. Jeff, what should we be focusing on there? I think a lot of people who have lost in a court decision can sympathize with this person um, because his argument is very interesting, and it has to do with sports. Yeah. So uh, there's a municipal court defendant who said that that after getting a citation for expired tags and updating them the next day, he went to court hoping to get his fines limited or lowered, which is kind of a normal – you would think that the judge would just be a little lenient there, right? Yeah. But the judge said he wouldn't show any mercy in court that day because of the OU Sooners loss at the Rose Bowl. Uh Uh-oh. Adrian Lamoureux said he was pulled over for having expired tags back in September. And uh, usually the cops will just give you like a fix-it ticket, right? Yeah. Uh, so he said he admitted it was an honest mistake and updated his tags the next day. Shows responsibility, right? With money so tight and the holidays approaching, he decided to fight the fines. He went to trial to speak with the judge on January 2nd, the day after the Sooners lost to Georgia 54-48 to at the Rose Bowl. He told me to go sit back down and then chuckled and said there won't be any mercy in the court today because OU lost their game. (laughs) The first thing that went through my head was, Uh, I don't have any control over OU. I don't uh, know what this has to do with my ticket. I was guilty of the fine. I'm okay paying it. I just thought that the judge saying his favorite team lost their game was not lawful or appropriate to bring up in a courtroom, he said. Okay, but he was just being cheeky. He was just the judge was just being funny. Yeah, but it sounds like the fines were not waived or you yeah. know, he's paying the same amount. Yeah, well. That would that would miff me, I think. Don't do the crime, you don't pay the fine. Have you ever been miffed? Oh yeah, twice. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah, no, I've oh yeah, I've been miffed. Here's another thing that has to do with uh, money that this person probably didn't feel like they owed. Uh Imagine opening your electric bill and seeing a figure of 284 – let's see. This would be billion $460 million. Oh, wow. That's how much you owe. Pennsylvania's Mary Horomansky had exactly that experience, which uh, she recollects to GoErie.com with a priceless quote. My eyes just about popped out of my head says the 58-year-old resident of Erie. We had put up Christmas lights, and I wondered if we had put them up wrong. As a spokesman for Utility Penelec explained, however, it was merely a comically disastrous decimal error. The actual bill, $284.46. Oh, 
Yeah, if I got that bill, I wouldn't think I wouldn't describe it as comical. No, no, no. That's not funny. That whole the the whole twenty four hours while I was on the phone with you trying to figure out whether or not this was oh that was just hilarious. <laughs> that didn't cause me any stress at all. No, no. Yeah, it's there's sometimes that's why you know some oh I've got some bad news and you spend that second thinking oh boy, and you got to be careful. You got to be careful about sending out bad numbers, sending out bad news. You don't want to you don't want people to have a heart attack on you. I'm sure there are a lot of men in bars who have been given out a lot of bad numbers. Oh yeah. They go to call the woman the next day. Oh yeah. That's but that, that probably, you know. Why does also... this only have four digits in it? And why did I think that that was a good enough phone number? That's the reason you don't try to pick people up at a bar. You don't have your wits about you. You probably shouldn't try to pick up anybody anywhere. Right. And if you do, lift with your legs. Not with your not with your grankles, you shouldn't. What was that? You making fun of my ankles now? I bought a gym membership, and so my ankles—I've been playing racquetball a little bit more. Racquetball is great. But it's hard—it's hard with my ankles. I want to give you I've a little Nana's ankles. No, 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 no. You can have bad ankles and still play racquetball. Let me yeah. let me. What's the tip? Clue you in on a little secret here. It's all about placement. Oh yeah, it's all yeah. You have the ball on the court. Yes. Right. Yes. Keep it low. Keep it fast. Keep it in the corner. And occasionally aim for your opponent's back. Oh, that sounds violent. You don't get penalized. They were in the way. They were in the way. Hey, if you don't want your back to have welts on it, get out of the way. That's the problem with my, my, uh, my what's the word, my fragile ankles, <laughs> uh, is that it's harder to get out of the way. It's all lateral movement. Mm-hmm. You know. Another tip, if you can, play in a court that has air conditioning in it. It's delightful. Oh, yeah. It's the oh, only yeah. way to go. Well, don't all courts have air conditioning? I don't think so. Really? I've played in many a YMCA that have not had air conditioning in the in the court. What, you like playing the prison, it sounds like. <laughs> I mean, I'm playing in a club. They My club has air conditioning. Oh, a club. A club, a high-end club. I didn't know you were that hoity-toity. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm more hoit than toit, but... I can see that. I'll play both. I'm not a big... I mean, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of that. Uh, anyway, that's uh, the update, the news update from Jeff Simpson. Up next, folks, we're going to be talking about Thrive Life and uh, what you can do to, to take your life back and, and make it maybe more positive for you. Straight ahead on The Matt Townsend Show. It's a new year and a great time to make some new goals if you are, uh, you know, if you're trying to change your life. Every minute in life, you got to remember, you are changing into a new person for the better or the worse. A few months back, I spoke with therapist Thomas Winterman to discuss his book, The Thrive Life, and help us understand how to have that life we always dreamed of and find our best selves. I began the interview by pointing out that we only have one life to live and we better make the most of what we've got. That's it. That's it. That's right. And um, it's it's a little sobering, you know, when you stop and you think about it that way, that every minute, you know, every second, every hour that goes by, it's really never coming back. Mm. You know, at at that point in time, it's gone. And whether you uh, you invested it, you used it, you wasted it, whatever you did, 
um, you can't take it back. No, it's there. It's it. And yeah, you've already cast the die kind of. Um, Talk to me about uh, the name of the book is The The Thrive Life. Yeah, it's a little bit of a mouthful. Yeah, it is. What is The Thrive Life? Well, The Thrive Life, it really came from my own personal experience um, being a really fat guy for a long, uh, a bunch of years and living a life that was unfulfilling. You know, I was always looking for the next thing that could help me feel better about myself or the next uh, fad diet or the next thing that could get me moving or get me motivated. Um, Like I said, I was really overweight. I was up around 275 pounds. I was stuck in a terrible job. Um, I'd been kicked out of my local community college twice um, because I registered for classes and then didn't show up. And Mm. I was really just a person who was searching. Um, And then one day I just had this this incredible aha road to Damascus sort of moment that really changed my life and started me on a new path. And so I wrote this book. Um, It's based on my personal change, but also what I found in going through graduate school, the underlying psychology behind all of it. Yeah, because you're a psychologist, you're a counselor, you 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 work with people as well that um, that are going through this. I mean that that funk that you were in. It, it sounds like uh, something. Whether it's weight issues or it's just in a job we don't like or a failure to thrive, we hear a lot about uh, certain groups of people that are struggling to kind of thrive and, and find themselves. What um, in the book? I know uh, you you talk. One of the book chapters is called "Find Your Best You." Mm-hmm. Um, how do you, cause it seems like you had to go through a shift, right? You had to do something, had to shift in your life and in your brain to, I guess, to take, to take your head somewhere else to make these changes. It did. Um, and it really started with taking responsibility. I moved, um, from what they would call the external locus of control to the internal. Uh, previously I'd seen my life as sort of like blowing in the wind. You know, I was knocked from one spot to the other by my circumstances. You know, I couldn't help it. You know, I didn't feel like getting up to exercise and that was somebody else's fault. I was eating, you know, bad food every day and that was my parents' fault or this was somebody else's fault. Um, And one day I was working my job and it just hit me that I was entirely responsible for who I was. Mm. And it was my choices and it was nobody else's. And from that moment forward, I took control and I decided to change my life for the better. That's cool. And um, I mean, I guess part of that is knowing that that's an option and then you got to know how to go about doing it. In the book, you start out with finding your best you. How do you how do you know who you are and who you really can become? That's tough. And, and for a lot of people, it's it's fun to fantasize about becoming this you know, this great person who's super fit and in shape and, you know, real successful and makes a lot of money. So we always, we always tend to want to start with where we're going when we map out goals. Right. But I found that the most important process is the self-evaluation. And before you start knowing where you want to go, you really have to know where you are. Hmm. You have to put yourself on the map first and thoroughly and honestly take a look at yourself and who you are right now today and from there, you can begin to plot where you want to go. But that first step is the self-evaluation. Yeah, it seems like we really want to skip that one. 
Yeah, it's not fun. But, but it, you almost – you won't know – if you don't know who you are really, like you got to know your strengths, but you got to know your weaknesses. I mean I, you can't just say, I, well, yeah, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to get my PhD because if you – your weaknesses might be, well, I'm kind of lazy and I, I really hate reading and I don't – I don't like learning at all. I mean if you don't know what you're – if you don't know who you are, you, you won't know how to get there. Right, right. And one of the main points in the book – um, there's a chapter or a section called What's Your Name? And the whole point of that is to really say your name out loud and think about what sort of weight that carries, you know, what sort of reputation you have. And whenever we hear somebody else's name in conversation and we know the person, we immediately start thinking of them. Mm. Well, what do you think about when you hear other people's names? Is it good? Is it bad? Um, is it something that you want for yourself? And that's a really good exercise. To that a- is. Take a good self-evaluation. How do other people see me? What's my reputation? And then to take that responsibility, that that reputation is really your own creation, and you can mold that into whatever you want it to be. Mm. Say your name. And because um, it's funny, it seems like when when you describe that funk that you were in, it might be easy from the funk to automatically see the negative of who you are. So do you, are you not more inclined to frame yourself negatively if you're already in that negative place? Sure, but it's, it's 100% necessary because I, I really believe that for anybody to change and for it to be lasting, true, real change, that there has to be a strong motivation for change. Nobody ever changed just thinking, ah, maybe I'll do it, maybe I won't. Um, there's got to be something within you that you're thoroughly dissatisfied with to really and truly move toward change. Hmm. Interesting. No, yeah, you got that that might be part of hitting the bottom or mm-hmm. you know hitting the hitting the low. Another uh point you make is to fake it till you make it. Uh, <laughs> uh-huh. I think we all think we know what that means. What what do you mean uh when it comes to creating the thrive life? Well, there's this idea in choice theory and reality therapy that our actions, our thoughts our feelings and our body's physiology are all connected. Mm-hmm. And if you can make a change in just one of those things, then you can affect the other areas. And your actions are a real easy way to make intentional change, and then your thoughts, feelings, physiology will follow. And the idea behind fake it till you make it is even if you don't feel like doing something, do it anyways. Because eventually, You'll come around, and your feelings will start to change, your thoughts will start to change, and you'll become more positive about whatever it is you're engaging in just by forcing yourself to get in and do it. Yeah, you're using actual research, theory, psychology, change the thinking by saying it enough, acting it out enough, feeling it enough, and you'll manifest it. Yes, definitely, definitely, and that's something that works on a number of levels. Um, one way that it works a lot is with couples. You know, when you start, um, the romance is gone. You know, we, we can't find the spark. Well, I would tell a husband, the next time you go out, pretend like it's your first date. Hmm. You know, act like it was the first time that you've ever gone out with her. How would you act? How would you treat her? And it's, well, I'd do, you know, I'd hold the door for her. I'd pull out her chair. I'd, I'd smile at her. You start doing those things, and all of a sudden, the feelings start coming back. And it's, it's not so fake. It's not, it's not manufactured. The feelings are real, but they started with some intentional action. And uh, again, it's, 
it doesn't take much, right? I mean, because you being different could then spark something different in others. So if all of a sudden I'm faking it, even though I'm not whatever my goal is, the millionaire or whatever, um, then – but as soon as I start acting the role and and kind of going down that road, others may start treating me differently. If I treat my wife like it's the first time I've dated her, she might start treating me like it was the first time we dated. Most definitely, and that's the idea. Um, came out a few years ago. The whole the love dare, yeah, um, and then the fireproof movie and all that, and that was really a great testament to this uh, mindset of no matter you can't control another person, but you can control you. So if you stay steady and you are really intentional with your actions, you can affect change all throughout your life. Is what happens in the middle of this when? We then, you know, hit a major dose of reality. I'm, uh, you know, I'm trying to understand the best me. I'm, I'm faking it till I'm making it. I'm doing these things. And then I'm still hit with the reality that my weight issue, you know, blows my knee out when I'm climbing the stairs. Mm-hmm. What do I do when I have to, when I actually face failure in this effort to change? Um, in my mind, and I talk about this in the book as well, is we we really have to change our mindset. You know, as a culture, we have this almost binary attitude when it comes to success. Um, we, it's either fail or pass. Um, but when you're, when you're doing this, when you're trying to better yourself, when you're trying to make improvements, there's really no such thing as failure because no matter what happens, you've learned something. Mm. If you can gain something, and that's one of the things that we talk about in counseling is when you ask somebody to do something and they do it and they come back and, and it didn't work. Instead of saying, what did you do wrong? We'll ask them, well, what did you learn? It changes a mindset. Maybe you learn next time. Maybe I can't do a thousand stair steps in 30 minutes, you know? Right. So you might want to readjust that goal in the future. And maybe you didn't lose 25 pounds, but you lost five. And you know what? That's five more than you lost before. Mm. So there's, there's really a reframing and a changing of a mindset that can happen when you really get rid of the idea of failure and change it into what did I learn instead of why did I fail? Yeah, and, and the process of – yeah, it's such a great way to look at it. We do. We, we, we're so binary and dichotomizing, either-oring everything in our lives. Thomas Winterman, he is a counselor and a, um, a therapist and is from Florida, has been living this himself in his own life and figured out some pretty powerful steps, put those steps in his book, The Thrive Life. Talk to me about, um, I mean, I know you, you, you use your real life experience, but you also bring in a lot of, uh, you know, counseling uh, principles and, and therapy uh, tools. What, what are some of the theories that, that you use as well, along with this process of creating the Thrive Life? Well, the base theory that I use is choice theory and uh, what comes out of that, which is reality therapy, which is this, this concept that everything that we do is a choice. Um, and we, we tend to lose sight of that with our automatic pilot minds. You know, we get up for work, we get a shower, we get dressed, and we forget that those are all choices. Right. We could, we could choose not to go to work. Our consequence might be getting fired. But we still have a choice. Mm. And it's this idea that we are completely and totally in control of our lives outside of a few variables here and there. But for the most part, it's our choices that determine where we go. 
And much of our discontent might simply be believing we don't have a choice. Like, I have to go to work. But, I mean, the idea that I have to – if I could see that as, well, no, you're choosing to to agree to this process. I mean, right. you could go to a foreign country and live abroad for dollars a day and, you know, you could make a different choice. There, that Maybe that is part of it. We feel this – as long as I believe I don't have a choice – uh, then I'm also not responsible either, and I can't have an impact. That's right. And uh, another huge source of human suffering and angst comes from controlling things that we can't control. Um, we forget that we can control ourselves, but we want to control our environment. We want to control the people around us, our spouses, our kids. We want them to do exactly what we want them to do when we want them to do it, and we just lose our minds when they don't. Um, and we're not appreciating the fact that we can't change them. We can't force them to do anything. All we can do is control our reactions to any given situation. So, so true. What, um, what's some more advice that you give in the book so we can get into that thrive life? Um, one of the biggest things that I'll tell people about goal setting is that it's really a skill more than it is a talent. You know, people want to hop into goal setting December 31st and January 8th, they're done with it. You know, the goal's out the window. They didn't make it. I'm a terrible person. I can never set goals. Not realizing that it's something that takes a lot of practice and it takes refining and it takes work to get to a point where you're successful at it. So by thinking, I mean, that's it's it's a it's a it's something you can go work on you can earn it but it's you know it's like being physically fit it's it, you can't just jump into it you, you got to learn the skills you got to learn the equipment you got to learn the diet it's it's stuff you got to learn that's right and you're not you're not going to be a master goal setter from day 1 you know you have to you have to go through it you have to go through the trouble and you have to work hard and there's going to be a lot of bumps along the way um but with the practice, you get better. So true. What would you say as we wrap it up? Uh, I always like to know the one thing. What's the one th- piece of advice that you would give today for somebody that wants to, I mean, other than, of course, getting your book, uh, somebody that wants to get started and kind of recapture their life and, and get it going today? What's the one thing that would make the biggest difference today? I would say find one little tiny thing and do it. Make one really small change and make it so small that it's almost ridiculous, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, drink one cup of water instead of when you would have a soda. Um, Tell your kids, I love you, one more time than you would. It's the little changes that can snowball and they can build momentum and they can move into big changes. So Mm -hmm. for today, just do one little thing and then tomorrow do one more little thing. Love it. Love it. Great advice. Great advice from Thomas Winterman. And we appreciate uh, your work, Thomas, and The Thrive Life. Go to his website, thethrivelife.org. You can check out his work there. He's got a wonderful blog with um, some really interesting articles there to read as well. Okay, The Thrive Life. We'll take a break, folks. When we come back, visit our good brethren at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back. Yes, 
We're taking that ride in the convertible up the Pacific Coast Highway to uh, probably to go see Pacific and find out what happened with the Pacific BYU game this weekend. Let's go down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation, Spencer and Jerem, and find out what's coming up on their show today. Hello, gentlemen. Hi, Matt. The University of the Pacific. Is that is that how it's called? Is that what it's called? The University the official name of the like, Pacific, as in the Pacific Ocean. They. It's like they own the Pacific Ocean. Apparently, they Although, are the University of the Pacific. They're a little inland for that claim, though. How? So BYU lost by one point to the University of the Pacific. Another Saturday, another uh, close game in regulation. Maybe there's something about Saturdays. It's a, a special day. It's the day we get ready for. That's it. Maybe the football. <laughs> I mean, Ma- Sunday. Sunday. Maybe they're not getting ready for Sunday enough, and so they're not getting the blessings that's, they need. Yeah, that's. Uh, yeah. Maybe. Apparently. <laughs> yeah. So many thoughts. So many thoughts. Are you guys covering that in your show today? I mean, I know you don't miss anything. Uh, Sabbath observance, definitely. Uh, no, no, no. Uh, the the University of the Pacific. Of game. course, we are utilizing that as a trampoline of sorts into a bigger subject. Excellent. The subject being, how do you measure improvement for BYU hoops? Mm. Because that's another, as we call it, non-Saint Zaga loss. Yes. Yet this is a kind of a regular thing. In fact, last week on the program, we discussed non-Saint Zaga games and the importance. Three different times, okay? Mm-hmm. So we talked about how, hey, these are important games, da da da. BYU loses these games every year. 2.8, in fact, about three. Yet, every time it happens, we're all annoyed, which I get. Wait, so did I you wonder, say 2.3 or 2.8? 2.8. Basically three. So at some point, should we just stop uh, expecting BYU to win these games? I don't know. Every other game except saying associated yeah. with the program. Boy. That is that is merited. Yeah, no right. See, you guys got a you got a big problem to solve. Listen, we thought football was our biggest problem. No, <laughs> and you it, got you got big problems. Still. Well, it is football is still our biggest problem. Well, I mean, yeah. Now you guys have huge personal problems. I know yeah, that all kinds of problems. But um, okay, let's let, let's move to a lighter subject then for you. Um, do you think the Browns should be having a parade? Zero and sixteen. The people see, have spoken. They so want. I think, Florida's having a I think fans can do whatever they want. Right? Let, let them let them party any way they want. They live in Cleveland. They need that. Yeah, and it's cold. <laughs> well, the funny thing is, they were that were so close to a World Series championship. They recently won an NBA Finals championship. Yeah, what are they complaining like, about? So it's an interesting paradox there. Mm-hmm. Plus, they got LeBron for another few months <laughs> until he goes to LA. Could be. Right. Who knows? That's crazy. Did you guys watch the Golden Globes? I know you you uh, love award ceremonies, and I did not watch one no. second of them. No, either did I. The highlights on the Twitter, the Twitter sphere. Um, okay, any favorite quotes from President Trump on um, on Twitter on the Twitter sphere? Uh, Anything stand out that like? No, I'd yeah. Not talk um, that he's uh, a a genius. Yeah, he's a he's a stable genius. A stable genius. Now, what I thought he meant is he was like really good with horses. Yeah, yeah, he's a good. Now that guy, whisperer. That guy knows his horses. No, he's he's a genius, but he's not crazy like other geniuses. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or genii, if you're talking plural. Um, what uh, what's coming up on your show today, gentlemen? Genies. Well, other than discussing progress mm-hmm. and 
where BYU fits into that whole conversation on a basketball standpoint. We also will be talking with the man, Mark Durant, radio analyst, former BYU basketball starter. Magic. What does he think about the Cougars after the one-point loss to Pacific and where they stand in that whole discussion of progress? Yeah, ponderize that. (laughs) Plus a little big deal, no deal. Jimmer. Taysom Hill with the Saints yesterday. Non-Power 5 national champion mm. in college football. Yeah. Remember when Brigham did that? That was cool. Mm-hmm. Those were the days. Long time ago. But. Good times then. Um, are you going to bring up ponderization? Ponderification? No. I think it'd be cute. Nah. Jerem might. He might say ponderize. Mark, I've been ponderizing on yeah, he BYU might, basketball. Yeah, he might say that. Because his older brother, uh, Devin, one of the best BYU basketball players ever, was yeah. the uh, genesis of that in a LDS General Conference talk. See, that's great background. Mm-hmm. And by the way, it's made a huge impact on a lot of people. Lots of ponderizing. It's a, it's a cool idea, right? Yeah. Also, it's a combo word. I like those. You, you, you really, I look at it like you can't have enough combo words. It's like a combo at the restaurant. Yeah. It, it makes your life happy. Give me some tots with... Fry sauce. Yeah. Thanks, Napoleon. <laughs> Napoleon Dynamite. So it's a great show, and I know you guys I are— I think it's a good show, man. It's a good show. You're not going to yeah. go as far as saying it's great? No. This one's going to be really good. I mean, I think, you're all, I think all your shows are good. It's the quality of— yeah, I think gonna, it's the talent you guys bring to it. They can't all be great, let's be honest. Let's yeah, not but, beat around the bush here. I mean, yeah. But, Thank you, though. You're very nice. But more, more are great with yours than the average you know, show. Well, this is true. You know what I mean? I mean, you wouldn't know that because you're not an average show. Focus, but as an average focus show. Focus groups have spoken. Yeah. Yeah. You guys have focus groups? So much focus. Yeah. Well, bless you. <laughs> bless you. It's straight ahead, folks. We uh, You don't want to miss it. It's BYU Sports Nation, Spencer and Jerem, and uh, tons of fun. Pound for pound for pound, there's more fun found in BYU Sports Nation than any other show what? On this earth, yeah. What? Mm-hmm. More than this show? Oh, yeah. They pack it Come deep. Come on. No, they pack it deep on that show. Yeah. More fun. I, I feel like I don't even know you anymore. They bring The difference, though, Jeff, they bring fun and insight. I have insight. I'm fun. Yeah. They bring fun and insight. We just bring the news you need to know. And not even... Really, the news. I mean, sometimes it's not even news yet. That's how weird. That's how ahead of the game we are. Hey, as you know, though, we do like to always talk about a hero story. And our hero today uh, is uh, it's from Dallas. Nearly 600 men answer the call to mentor South Dallas students. For their first Breakfast with Dads event, administrators at South Dallas Middle School were looking for 50 to 100 male mentors to help. But on Thursday morning, nearly 600 men arrived at Billy Earl Dade Middle School to volunteer at the gathering focused on dads' male students, uh, or sorry, Dade's male students. The crowd of volunteers came from diverse backgrounds, including dads from various parts of Dallas, men in the local law enforcement, public officials, community organizers. They all gathered to help mentor the youth. 
Mentorship, according to the principal, Tracy Washington, said it's not an easy thing for a young student to ask for, but about 150 students requested a mentor. For many volunteering, it was their first time visiting the school. Jason Tren of Dallas said he had seen a post about the event and wanted to give back. The request for mentors went out to the community last week because some students' fathers would not be able to attend the event. Uh, if I were in the place of these young men, I'd want someone to uh, to step up, Tren said. The boys ages 11 to 13 reacted with smiles and questions during one activity that focused on how to tie a necktie. Some also learned and had forgotten that uh, others were taught. Uh, that was the very first time they'd ever been taught to tie a tie was that morning. So it's a pretty inspiring thing. And so I just wanted to point out to all of the 600 men that volunteered, you're all heroes in my book. And uh, we need more of that. We need you to reach out and care a little bit more. And that is the program, my friends. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Again, we can't do it without you, but you can find us on podcasts. You can go to iTunes to tune in. Go to BYURadio.org. Or you can even ask your own Alexa. Sorry if I just set yours off. Hey, listen to the Matt Townsend program or podcast. You can also just listen and, uh, and call up BYU Radio as well. That's the show. We'll be back again tomorrow for more fun and more, uh, hopefully, peace and motivation is our goal. Up next is BYU Sports Nation.